gentlemen, welcome to episode 51 of the Whatever Show. 51? Yeah, we're so old. Uh, this week, we have so much wrestling to talk about, so uh, as that's a mainstay of the regular show, I'm sure every rib's going to be completely enthralled. <laughs> and I just hit my mic for no reason. Hey, I- I'm actually right there with you. Uh, I haven't watched wrestling in a really long time, but I found this really entertaining, so whatever. Um, we've also got a whole bunch of comic book news this week, and when I say news, I mean we read this week's comics, which we're going to talk about uh, primarily in the DC Universe. Some we've, of, for the first time in history, Eddie read more comic books than I did. Yeah, wow. This, I mean, milestones all over the place here. Um, yeah, we'll talk about why later on. Yeah, we've got some Vin Diesel news uh, coming out coming about Guardians of the Galaxy and Infinity War 2. We have um, some more Infinity War 2 news, actually, which is kind of interesting. And finally, some Spider-Man Homecoming casting news as well. Uh, lots of stuff going on in the show. Stick around. Wait, let's talk about the big bloody elephant in the room. That is SummerSlam. Yeah. So uh, Matt and I had the pleasure of watching SummerSlam this afternoon. So SummerSlam being uh, the WWE's, you know, summer event. Second biggest pay-per-view of the year. Yeah. Um, To get yourself set, set, to get your mind right, uh, before you listen to the rest of this podcast about SummerSlam, or not the entire podcast, but before you listen to the rest of our discussion about SummerSlam, you could go check out this Nerdist link that Matt put in the show notes, um, which chronicles a bunch of different achievements and um, notable numbers and things like that that go into SummerSlam, which has been around for quite a long time now. Um, so there's lots of different statistics that are sort of interesting here and that give you a little bit of idea of um, where SummerSlam this evening is going to go. Yeah. Obviously, SummerSlam is a WWE slash former WWF pay-per-view event. Yeah. Um, some cool stuff has happened there. Um, for example, we have a, uh, an article in here that talks about how um, the Intercontinental title... Um, it's changed hands the most at SummerSlam. That at, part actually did not surprise at me. Fourteen times. Yeah, it did not surprise me a little bit because it seems like that was sort of like the um, like a storyline tactic that they could use. Like the Intercontinental Title is sort of like the more, by far more active. I think belt because the the uh, main title is, uh, you know, sort of saved for the big deals. It used to be. I mean, obviously SummerSlam being the second biggest pay-per-view of the year, I mean, this is an opportunity for the main title to change hands. Yeah. Uh, the thing about it is, though, is that um, guys used to have the belt, the, the like the WWF championship, for like a year or more at a time sometimes. Yeah. Uh, in fact, Bob Backlund had it for several years. Uh Bruno San Martino, I believe, had it for several years as well. So there were title reigns that went years and years, whereas the Intercontinental belt, when it came into being, um, was kind of the belt that was toured around and defended regularly, whereas the actual WWF champion would go to, well, maybe not WWF, but traditionally in the days of territories, like your world champion would tour around to other territories and defend the belt against other organizations and whatnot. Um, And so he wasn't televised a lot. So you'd see things like that happen. But the Intercontinental Belt would stay home and be the one that was televised or what have you. Wow. Cool. So, yeah. Um, And then, you know, I'm not going to go into all the facts, but also there was um, a pretty cool thing. Biggest attendance for SummerSlam. 
Uh, Wembley Stadium at 80,355. Yeah. That's a lot. You know what's weird is that uh, my connection with Wembley, or the mental connection that I make with Wembley, is that the Foo Fighters played there. Yeah. And I think not quite sold out, but if if they didn't sold out sell out it was pretty damn close dude that was an amazing show did you ever actually watch that show yes i super i did I, it with, was with a, jimmy page at the end yeah it yeah. was an amazing show spoilers yeah <laughs> sorry uh, sorry we gave away a show that's been out for like i don't know five or ten years now and, but and taylor hawkins coming to do vocals and just fucking killing it on some led zeppelin songs yeah yeah which is funny because uh when taylor sings on foo fighter songs i'm like uh just stop um but when he did the led zeppelin stuff i was like oh yeah that's good um so they could definitely use taylor in different ways just he doesn't fit for foo fighters he's he's got his own band that's really good too yeah yeah what's that i don't remember the name of it my wife who's upstairs could tell you yeah so i'm pretty sure taylor hawkins is on her list we banished her so we could (laughs) podcast um (laughs) so anyway the the nerdist uh, put up this link specifically uh, Donnie Letterer from the nerder, nerderist nerdist. <laughs> we also had some beers while watching SummerSlam. Maybe just throwing just that a out there. Yeah, uh, it's only like a four hour event. So so yeah, we're not going to spend too much time reading the article. We're actually going to dive into the actual event itself, uh, where we made some predictions. We did, and we were, I think, slightly less accurate than a coin toss. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> um, so, first match of the night, and we're not talking about the um, the pre-show, any of the matches that happened on the pre-show. We didn't watch um, it, sorry. No. We we watched some of it, but not attentively. I was no. making chicken wings. And I was salivating over chicken wings. <laughs> I whined about being alone while making chicken wings, so Eddie followed me. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. What? Marker. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. We gotta focus on the show. Oh, damn. Fuck. Yeah. Hold on, hold on. I got you. I got you. Boom. Marker. Okay, now we're good. All right. Um. So first match of the night, we had uh, Enzo Amore and Big Cass uh, versus Chris Jericho and Kevin Owens. Um. Eddie knew one of those people. Yeah, Jericho. Actually, it was kind of surprising to me to see Jericho like uh, kind of opening the event because Jericho for a while was kind of a big deal. I thought he still is. Yeah, he just not at this particular. He's kind of the elder statesman though, so it's kind of his duty to uh, get the ball going. And like, not only did he get the show started, but like he got it started right. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's kind of what he does. Um, this was actually a fun match to watch. Uh... <laughs> Eddie has not really experienced Enzo Amore and Big Cass yet, and so he got to see their introduction wherein Enzo talks about himself being a uh, certified G and a bona fide stud. Um, Whereas Big Cass, the only thing he's really got going for him in the intro (laughs) is he's seven feet tall. Yeah, that was kind of funny, actually. Like, Enzo going on and on about how awesome he is, and then (laughs) Big Cass is like, well, I'm big. Yeah. 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 those guys are great, though. I actually, uh, a year ago when I saw them at NXT, uh, I mean, I didn't personally see them at NXT, but I was watching an NXT show and saw them. If you'd have told me that I would be rooting for them now at SummerSlam, <laughs> I'd have been like, you're out your mind. But uh, no, they are fun. They're they're super fun. Unfortunately, we predicted Enzo and Big Cass to go over on Jericho and Owens, um, and we were wrong. Eddie yeah. didn't actually have much to do with prediction on that, other than he took my word for it. Although I I, I lean that direction, like I I just 
I, you know, I didn't have strong feelings either way, and I still don't. But um, yeah, I did lean the direction towards having Enzo and Big Cass go there, um, mostly because they were far more entertaining to me. Like probably because Jericho isn't really playing a character right now. He is. He's a heel, but you didn't get to talk as much. So yeah, like I mean, he was barely barely present. I think. I mean, obviously he wrestled in the match, but it wasn't like he gave a big you know solilo- soliloquy you know leading up to the event or anything like that. Um. So, I, I yeah, I kind of lean towards Enzo and, and Cass, but no, we were wrong. My thoughts on it, and and this is purely from a uh, fundamental wrestling point of view. Um, Kevin Owens doesn't necessarily need the win for momentum. Yeah, Jericho certainly doesn't because he's done everything there is to do when it comes to wrestling. Enzo and Cass though could have used the win because they're kind of the they're they're the newbies to the group. I mean, they've been around for a few months now as far as being on the main roster and whatnot. Um, but I would have given them the push yeah. just because of the fact that Jericho's legacy is Jericho's legacy and there's nothing that can tarnish that at this point. And Kevin Owens is gonna have plenty of opportunities to make a name for himself in singles competition. So this tag match wasn't really all that important for that, whereas Enzo and Cass are a tag team. Yeah. See, that's kind of what I was thinking too. Like I, I... You know, going against Jericho. Jericho doesn't really have anything on the line here. Um, so I kind of thought they would give it to Enzo and Cass, but, you know, here we are. But we were wrong. So whatever show, 0-1. Maybe it was just like Jericho was like, no, I'm going to win this one. And they were <laughs> like, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, next match would have been Charlotte Flair versus Sasha Banks for the WWE women's title on the Raw brand. I believe we also called this wrong. Wrong. We did. Um, so I had Sasha going over on Charlotte to retain. Uh, unfortunately, I was completely wrong. However, this match was really good. Yeah, this is actually um, was solid. Like we were watching this, and 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 you know we were sitting in the room, and we were kind of looking at it like so. And especially, I don't watch wrestling, and haven't watched wrestling in a long time. And Casey was down there with us, and she was like also doesn't watch wrestling and any or anything like that and she was like well they're kind of dressed like strippers and then we thought about it for a second and was like well the guys are kind of dressed like strippers too and the thing about the women's matches that while they're um not nearly as physically intimidating you know just they're smaller i mean the average weight i think on the you know a wwe star is probably somewhere in the like 220 240 range um and these girls are probably like 150 160 sopping wet um it was fun to watch, like especially these two particular performers were like very, very technically adept. Like I, I liked how uh, he, um, this is actually probably one of the better paced matches to me. Like there's a lot of slowdowns in some of the m- bigger main event stuff. Uh, the, this one like kept going start to finish, and there was a lot of like technical like arm bars and hurricane runas and that kind of thing. Right. Part of that obviously comes from the fact that Charlotte Flair is obviously got legacy behind her, and that yeah, she's Ric as Flair's daughter, Ric Flair. Um, and Sasha, the, here's the thing. These two both came up from NXT, um, which is basically essentially the WWE minor leagues now, but they're not really the minor leagues anymore. in in the, in that, um, fundamentally speaking, like when it comes to actual pro wrestling and whatnot, and I don't mean actual pro wrestling, like as in like real collegiate wrestling that they do for a living. Cause that doesn't happen. But like when it comes to pro wrestling, as we know it, NXT is probably one of the better produced programs out there. And it's it's the training camp to get to either Raw or SmackDown. 
Um, so the women that are trained there train as real wrestlers. Like they, they no longer train women as valets to come in and give their respective wrestler, male wrestler, a, a, a distinct advantage over the other guy or whatever. Yeah. So I want to interject for just a second, because as somebody who hasn't watched in like 15 years, that was actually like a breath of fresh air. Like the women wrestlers are actually wrestlers. Right. Like the, the, there, there was a couple of like valet moments, like where you can see it's just like arm candy sort of things. But um, the women matches and the women wrestlers were like legit wrestlers. It wasn't like a gimmicky sort of like we'll throw in a storyline and they'll they'll you know perform the most basic of maneuvers. Like these these ladies were like very very good. So that was actually a fun match to watch. And and I really thought um, this is for the WWE Women's Belt. I really thought they should have stuck this later in the bill. Me too. And we'll talk about that too, especially when we get to the other women's match that we had. Um, <clears throat> But Charlotte went over on Sasha to to regain the the WWE Women's Championship. This surprised me in that Charlotte already carried the belt for over a year. Yeah. Before Sasha beat her four weeks ago, I think on Raw. Yep. Um, for it, so I was kind of hoping to see Sasha carry it a little bit longer. Um, she's definitely due. I don't think we've seen her as the Women's Champion for the last time. Um, the the thing that made this match interesting though is that. Earlier in the week, I think last week on Raw, there was a stipulation match wherein if uh, Sasha beat um, Dana Brooke, who normally accompanies Charlotte to the ring and helps her win, that Charlotte had to win this match on her own. She didn't get to bring Dana Brooke to the ring, and Charlotte still won and went over clean. So that surprised me quite a bit. Yeah. Eddie didn't know any of that because he doesn't watch the weekly shows. Yeah. But that's fine. I might, though. We'll and it see. was... That's the thing. The the testament to this match is he really didn't have background on this match at all. But it was still entertaining. Yeah, for sure. So, um, anyway, we're 0-2 now. Because we predicted <laughs> Sasha to, to, to retain her title, and, and she didn't. Yeah. Um, these were my predictions that I didn't ask Eddie about before I tweeted on, on behalf of the whatever show. Um this next one, though, I actually turned it over to him because I'm like, well, I'm 0-2, so what do you got for the next one? And the next one was Miz versus Apollo Crews for the Inter- Intercontinental title. Um, this one is what Eddie was talking about with the arm candy because the Miz is accompanied to the ring, obviously, by Maurice, who is his wife and is not an active wrestler at this point in time. Yeah. Um, she used to be. She did wrestle for a time. Um it was unfortunately a time that I actually was not watching WWE, so I can't tell you whether or not she was any good. The other interesting thing here is like I didn't know, like I was watching this match and I was like, I know that guy from somewhere. The Miz is actually from like the Real World season two. Is that what we decided? Road Rules. Road Rules season two. Season two. So um, yeah, like if you recognize him, if you especially if you haven't watched this for a long time or something like that, like I haven't, uh, and you recognize him, it's Road Rules. <clears throat> he was he was always hitting on Cat. And then yeah. they got together somewhere along the lines in the season. Yeah. They're not obviously together anymore because he's married to Maurice, but yeah. whatever. <laughs> um, um, we got this one right, though. We did. We did. Eddie predicted Miz to go over Apollo Crews. Um, rightfully so, too, I think, because Apollo Crews, uh, as much as he's earned his way to the main roster, he's also kind of a pretty fresh call-up from NXT. Yeah. Uh, and he's... Still a little unpolished. I think he's got 
I, I think he's definitely got championships in him, and he will probably win either the intercontinental title or possibly a tag team belt with somebody else at some point because he's he's good enough to carry the gold around for a little while. But the Miz is such a he's a natural heel. Yeah. Um, I think he was actually kind of like a heel character in Road Rules, if I remember right, too. I don't think it's a character. <laughs> I, I mean, like maybe maybe he's just kind of a dick in real life. I'm not really sure, but I do remember him being kind of like uh, slanted towards like the bad guy in Road Rules and, uh, and ditto for obviously in the, sh- in the show, the pay-per-view tonight. He, he's a heel, so. Yeah. Well, I mean, he, he, he pretty much stars in WWE-produced motion pictures now, so he portrays himself as the Hollywood A-lister. Yeah. Quite well, actually. Like I think he does a really good job of being a snobby movie star kind of a character. So, <laughs> um, this match, however, um, didn't have nearly. It didn't grab my attention nearly as much as as Charlotte and Sasha did. Same, or um, even the even the Jericho, Owens and Enzo and Cass match. Like this match, kind of was. Yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, it was there and it was fine, but nothing to write home about. Yeah. So anyway, we're one and two now. Woohoo! <laughs> um, next match coming up. This one took us both by surprise. This was um, AJ Styles versus John Cena. This was no titles on the line. This was a grudge match. Um, I predicted that Cena would win, despite interference from the club on AJ's behalf, which I was right there with. Like having never watched the thing, like we saw earlier in the event that uh, the club was there and they were, you know, back up for AJ Styles. And then Matt started filling me in a little bit on the backstory of like the club interfering with a lot of matches before that and stuff like that. And that causing uh, Cena's loss. And I was like, Oh, well what's going to happen here at the main event is Cena's going to win. And, um, the club Cena is going to be leading, and the club's going to try to interfere. But Cena is going to come out on top anyway, and we were totally wrong. Yeah. Um, so the reason that I thought the club was going to interfere is because the club had interfered on um, AJ's behalf several times in the past. They got drafted to different shows, so the tag team portion of the club, um, which would be Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson, were drafted to Raw, whereas AJ went to SmackDown. This being SummerSlam, it is a joint venture between raw and smackdown so it had members from both rosters present yep um and i thought man what a good time to reaffirm that relationship even though they're not on the same show anymore they're still tight it already showed them together backstage once uh there's no reason to believe that they wouldn't be present in this match um but they weren't and the surprising thing is is number one I'm not the biggest John Cena fan in the world. I totally respect what he is for the business. Um, he is, whether he's the champion or not, the face of the entire company in that he he's kind of their ambassador internationally. Make-A-Wish Foundation. Dude's doing, done more for Make-A-Wish kids than anybody else on the face of the planet ever in history. Um, he's just that guy, and he's good for the company. Don't get me wrong. No joke, actually, again, as somebody who's not a fan, like, um, when I was watching, like, the, the, the two guys who were the face of the company were Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock. Uh, and I've been looking for, like, a star, like, of comparable, you know, whatever since, and especially going into SummerSlam and stuff like that. And I would have said Cena. So, um, like, the only guy that I really know of and recognize in the in the roster fairly well, I would have said probably Cena. So, yeah, I'd say you're pretty spot on there. 
Yeah. So um, the surprising thing about this is, number one, this match was phenomenal. It really was. Um, the, the, this, is uh, this is a fun match to watch, even forgetting the fact that like there's nothing really on the line. Um, but both wrestlers were kind of like really playing to their A-game here. Yeah. Um, the thing about AJ Styles is he's going to bring his A-game to every match. It doesn't matter what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, Cena, though... Cena's been compared to Hogan a lot of times and not necessarily in a in a complimentary way in terms of his offensive uh you know repertoire uh but he really stepped it up this time and uh honestly when he calls matches you can usually hear him <laughs> which is not a good thing <laughs> Um, and I didn't hear him at all, so I don't know if he wasn't calling this match. Maybe I wasn't paying as close of attention as I usually do, or maybe AJ actually got to call this match as the heel, because traditionally the heel kind of calls the match because you want to play to the heel's strengths in order to get the good guy over. Yeah. Um, and the heel knows how to do that because he knows how to draw heat. But uh, the the amazing thing about this match is AJ Styles didn't wrestle as a heel and Cena didn't necessarily wrestle as a babyface either. They, it was just two guys settling a score. Um, and AJ Styles went over clean at the end. Yeah. That was another thing that I think we were a little bit surprised about. But, like, the whole match was solid throughout. So, yeah. So, one of the things I mentioned to Eddie while, while we were going through this match is this match had the best ring psychology I've seen in a match in a long time in that... And when I say psychology, I mean... Everything that happened mattered for what, excuse me, for one reason or another. And you didn't have to know the backstory between AJ Styles and John Cena to get everything that you needed out of this match. And to somebody who didn't know the backstory, I agree. Yeah. So, um, as much as we were completely wrong and we went to one and three on our predictions for this match, <laughs> uh, we were completely 100% satisfied with the outcome of the match. Yeah. Uh, next up, we had the new day with Jon Stewart, <laughs> <laughs> which itself was funny. Like, so again, I'm not, like not really somebody who's watched WWE on the regular, uh, but uh, I knew Jon Stewart was tangentially involved um, in, you know, I think it was WrestleMania or something like that. SummerSlam last year, actually. SummerSlam, actually, last year. Okay. Uh, so, but it was, it's still funny to see him here, like, in the WWE, especially, like, being a, a, a general fan of Stewart in The Daily Show and all that kind of stuff. Like, he retired, and now what is he going to go do? I don't know. Bullshit around. I'm going to take my kid to wrestling shows. <laughs> yeah. We're going to go to wrestling shows. We're going to go wrestling. Wrestling. Yeah, it was funny. Um, This was interesting. Um, So, we... We predicted the club, didn't we? I think we did. I think we did. I don't remember. But um, New Day's been champions for a long time. Uh, they went into this match without Big E Langston. So the New Day is, if you're familiar with wrestling at all, you'll, you'll understand this. If not, I'll explain it. They are a Freebirds-style tag team. And what I mean by Freebirds is the Fabulous Freebirds back in the... Oh, they wrestled in Texas, so they would have been mid. No, not mid south. I don't remember. I have no idea. I don't remember. What, I can't help at all. I don't remember what territory they wrestled with, but they wrestled with the Von Erichs, um at the Dallas Sportatorium a lot, quite a bit. Um, they were a tag team that was actually comprised of three members, and any two could defend the belts at any given time, um, with the third kind of portraying the manager role. 
Um, Biggie was actually, um, quote unquote, injured a few weeks back by Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows, a.k.a. the club, and was put out of commission. So it was actually just Xavier Woods and um, uh, Kofi Kingston defending. So what got me about this match was Jon Stewart got involved like more than just introducing the new day. Like he gave, yeah. he got in the ring at some point during the match and this was just okay. <laughs> this was really funny because, um, uh, so I don't want to give it away too much, but John Stewart gets involved and he's in the ring and, uh, no big deal. Like the refs doesn't, the ref doesn't call that. There's no bell. Uh, and then of course, you know, the, the reveal is when Stewart's like at his peril about to get, you know, his beanbag uh, uh, trestled by the turnbuckle, um, the, uh, Big E comes out. And, of course, the bell rings about four seconds later. Big E comes out and, like, waylays a member of the club, and all of a sudden it's a DQ. Yeah. Or no decision. or wh- However they called it. They didn't actually declare a winner no. that I saw in this match. It just kind of ended. Yeah, they were just like, oh, we're done. Um, so that, that's, that was weird, because if Jon Stewart can get involved, but Big E can't, yeah, Biggie's actually a member of this tag team. <laughs> it's it's um, in the rules. Like you, you can you can have at least one, maybe two celebrity interferers. Yeah, it it, it just it it struck me as rather odd. So, um, anyway, no winner. Um, so I'm saying we're still at one and three. Yeah, that counts. We we we're counting that one. That's fine. Well, we can't be wrong if there was no winner. Yeah, exactly. Um. And if we predicted the club, and it was a DQ, technically it would have gone in the favor of the club. So, I mean, we I could have said we were 2-3, and three, but I didn't. How gracious. Yeah. Um, all right, so next up, and this is weird to me, too, because this is about midway through the show. This is a mid-card match. This was for the WWE title, and it was Dean Ambrose versus Dolph Ziggler. Yeah, um, this was actually a really fun match to watch too. So, um, I I'd been previously a little bit exposed to Dean Ambrose, I think, because you made me watch whatever. I don't I think remember. I make you watch anything, but I think I was finishing a pay per view one day before we recorded the show. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was the case. Um, so I knew a little bit about who Dean Ambrose was, and I think that's who I picked or who we yeah, picked. we did we did pick Ambrose for this one. Yeah, um, but this was a fun match to watch too. Like uh, both both pretty interesting athletes to watch so yeah it, it wasn't the match that i thought it would be given what they're both capable of doing especially dolph ziggler dolph, Z- dolph ziggler is probably on any given monday or tuesday depending on what show he's on which these days is smackdown so it would be tuesday is one of the most entertaining in-ring talents they have mm-hmm. and um the other, the only thing about him, though, and I, I mentioned this to to Eddie, he spends seventy to eighty percent of the time selling, which which means he's not on offense at all. Yeah. Although he does sell, which is a good thing. Yeah. So if you if you're like me or somebody who's not really a big fan of wrestling, uh, we all know it's fake. Like, 
let's get that out there. Predetermined. Uh, yeah. We like that word better. It's predetermined. It, it there is it's a work. Um, so when he says selling, what he means essentially is like, you know, that they're, they're not out there actually beating each other in the face. Um, but one of the things that makes it interesting to watch is how well the bad guy actually does selling the fact that he's just gotten punched in the face. Or either guy. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be the bad guy. Right. So um, when he says he's out there selling the whole time, he essentially means like he's on the losing end of the thing most of the time that he's in the ring. In fact, when it comes to selling... Go look at any Ric Flair match between 1978 and 1999. Damn. And you will see a guy who will sell the entire match and still win at the end. Yeah. But the way Ric Flair does it is a bit different. It doesn't seem as desperate as the way Dolph Ziggler does it. Although Ric Flair was known in his day to get color. That's bleeding. And he had that really, really white blonde hair, so it would just, like, he would be a crimson mask by the time the thing was over yeah. with. Anyway, um, this one we did predict. It was Ambrose over Ziggler to retain the title. Um, I don't think this spells the end for Ziggler. I think we're we're going to see good things come out of, uh, out of him. And when I say good things, I mean probably I think he's going to turn heel. I think he's going to end up being a bad guy within the next couple weeks. He almost seemed like a heel watching this event like it, it wouldn't shock like he he actually like he reminded me of the rocks persona for a long time like you know just too cool for school sort of like you know like that's what made him a good heel if, if the of. rock was 511 yeah <laughs> <laughs> and not samoan at all and like 100 pounds lighter probably yeah. because you know, they're very different frames but whatever yeah um and i think that's going to be a good thing for ziggler i think it's going to help his character um develop a little bit more he's been a heel in the past he's been the wwe champion on two different occasions um so again he's he's a seasoned vet and i i that's just the way i think i see things going i could be wrong i've been wrong before as evidenced by the first two predictions keep keep going where it's not going to help our argument at all yeah um Here's the next match that we're talking about, which is, uh, is going to lend credence to Eddie's point in the uh, Charlotte versus Sasha title match. Um, this was a six diva tag team match. Mm-hmm. Um, we had who did we have? We had Naomi, and we had Carmella, and we had uh, Becky One Lynch. One of the Bellas. I can't remember what her name is. It was Becky Lynch, Carmella. And Naomi on one team. And we had Natalia. Some girl whose name I don't remember because she's brand new. <laughs> um, and Nikki Bella. This was originally supposed to be Eva Marie, but she's been suspended due to a violation of the wellness policy, which after they played her intro tonight, even though she was suspended for the wellness, vol- uh, wellness policy viol- violation, I'm wondering if that's a work. Like that's, not legit. That that would be interesting if true. Because why would they play her intro? Why would they actually play into it if she was legit suspended for anything? You know what I mean? I, I mean, they have been kind of blurring those lines lately because Roman Reigns was also suspended and they brought light to it on TV and whatnot. Um, but that just seems really weird. Yeah, you know, the thing about the wellness policy when we talk about this is like if they're going to have that, 
so, guys, the wellness policy is basically basically like you can't do drugs, you can't do shitty things like th- you know that 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 like that essentially. Like you can't come in, uh, you know, I don't know exactly how they would fall on this, but you can't come in and all roided up. Um, they and it's not just roids; they test for all sorts of things. Like a couple, guys have gotten popped for taking Adderall, yeah, things like that. If they don't have a, a legit excuse for taking it. Stuff like that. So yeah. So the way I would fall, just logically speaking, is if you're going to have a wellness policy and you're going to bust people for it, um, it can't be a plot point. Like it can't be something they show in the show. Like if anything, it they the uh, so you know that's uh, kind of complicated because in the in the stories and the plots in the show, like you cannot uh, just obviously have a character disappear for a month without explanation. But I would think they would give them some entirely not graceful way to be absent from the show like he was walking down the stairs and he tripped and tore an acl or something like that like uh but just, you don't come back from an acl in a month that's yeah a just, six month injury at the, the just the pick, pick pick your pick your poison essentially but something that's entirely unglamorous and uninteresting uh for the audience like it needs to be as quiet as possible Here's- and uh then they bring them back, you know, in spite of that thing, not necessarily like because of like making it part of the part of the work is, I think, glamorizing it a little bit too much. Here's the thing, though, where WWE has put themselves in this position is they have done what no other wrestling company has done ever. And that they have not only embraced the fact that people know that the whole thing is at work now. But we have reality TV shows that expose it on a regular basis. So, for three hours on Monday, we're suppo- we're supposed to su- uh, supposed to suspend our disbelief and be entertained. But then, the next thing is we have Holy Foley, yeah, <laughs> like ten seconds it later, specifically talks about things not being really a sport. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I I think the reason they kind of address these things on air now, which they did with like Roman Reigns was suspended uh, for thirty days um, for a, a, a wellness policy violation as well, and they had actually they had Seth Rollins come out and like legitimately like throw him under the bus on air <laughs> for it, um, which did help to to move that storyline forward. It was a real uh, policy violation, but at the same time, like, they used it to their advantage. This one, though, seemed really gimmicky for that, though. Like, there's no reason to play Eva Marie's intro. Yeah. Especially since it's been announced that there's been a wellness policy violation. Not to mention, Eva Marie was replaced in the match by Nikki Bella, who, if you're up on things, like... And and you read the dirt sheets and shit like that on online, like you you knew that she was on her way back from her neck surgery. She'd been cleared, and it was just a matter of time before they actually reintroduced her. We were talking before the show about the whole thing, and I said, "If it's me, I'm putting Nikki Bella in there because she's yeah. ready to go." And yep. lo and behold, boom, there, there it is. She is. So, I don't know. It's up to you guys if it's a work or not. I don't know, but um, we actually predicted that team, whichever team Nikki Bella was on, would win, and we were right. Yeah, and so we, we, uh, I, and we were talking about this before the show. Um, the thing we didn't get here is this match wasn't really all that interesting. Like, 
No, I mean, it's great that she's back. Yeah. Uh, Nikki, that is. Um, but it, I don't think this match deserved to be nearly as high on the card as it was. Yeah, like this, if, if this and the, the women's title swap places, it would have made a lot more sense to me. Yeah. See, and the thing is, is I get why you have a match like this after a good portion of the show is, has gone over. Um, because traditionally, these kind of matches are not as... Um, I don't want to say important because I think that's not fair to the athletes involved, but they're not as as prestigious of a match. So they put these matches on so people can get up and get refreshments, go to the bathroom. Yeah, this is like the intermission match. Um, but there were still three other matches on the card, mm-hmm. one of which didn't end in a decision, so didn't really matter as much. You know what I mean? So I would have I would have definitely put this lower in the card and put Charlotte versus Sasha up here because I think Charlotte versus Sasha kind of deserved more of the card than being the second match of the show. Yeah, so did I. That's just me. Um so okay, next match we had um Finn Balor versus Seth Rollins for the brand new Universal Championship on Monday Night Raw. First of all, I'm going to say that the Universal Championship belt is ugly as shit, and I don't like it. <laughs> and then I, as somebody who hadn't watched for a long time, was like, what the fuck's the Universal Championship belt? Whatever. Yeah. So essentially, it looks just like the WWE Championship belt, only it's bright red. Mm-hmm. Same exact belt, red strap. Yeah. Um, women's title, almost identical. It's got the white strap, but... It actually even is better because it's got the white strap and it's got the same WWE logo with the diamonds and all that kind of stuff. But it has a red background on the actual, yeah, um, you know, gold part of it in, instead. I so, did like that belt better. Yeah. So, I don't know. Raw's supposed to be your flagship show, but it's got a belt that's ugly as shit. That's just all I'm saying. It, it really does. I would have made it more prestigious. Like, especially if I'm trying to promote the fact. So, back paddle for a minute. Raw and SmackDown supposed to be exclusive rosters now. One is run by Shane McMahon, that being SmackDown. The other one by Stephanie. Stephanie is always proclaiming that Raw is the flagship show. It's the better show. So why not give it a belt that's like fucking solid gold, like the old WCW championship belt or something like that? Mm-hmm. That seems more prestigious to me. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, we predicted Rollins would go over because Finn Balor is brand new to the roster as of about a month ago. Um, and it's really strange to think that a company would say, you know what, new guy, carry the ball for a while. Although I will say I did want Finn Balor to win this. <laughs> we, we did. If you followed our tweets at all, we, we predicted Rollins would win, but we secretly hoped that Balor would win. And, and guess what? We were pleasantly surprised by Balor going over. Yeah. In a hell of a match. This match was probably at least as good if not better than the AJ Styles Cena match I completely concur yeah only you peed like as the match was finishing <laughs> exactly wrong time for a bathroom break I was like yeah. well it's been going for a while but I'm, I'm pretty sure I got a little bit more time and then I got back and Matt was yelling at the TV or something like that and I was like well shit whatever I think I'd already tweeted out the results by the yeah. time you were back that, that's actually that's exactly correct because I was watch, walking back through the hall. I was like, oh, damn. You know, like looking at my <laughs> tweets. So, um, amazing match. Uh, Finn Balor came out in his Demon King makeup. 
which was really good. And this is another thing that was fun for me is like Matt showed me uh, Finn Balor has done a lot of other like character makeup stuff um, that was really, really cool. So, a lot of it Spider-Man related. Yeah. Anyway, we had some Carnage, Venom, Spider-Man, etc. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he's done some really good, good stuff. Seth Rollins. And I've said this before, um, maybe not on the show, but I'm going to say it say it now. Probably the best natural heel that the WWE has, either Raw or SmackDown. He's just really good at being a bad guy and being a fucking prick. And again, as somebody who hasn't watched this for a long time, I completely agree with that assessment. Yeah. So, um, great match. Uh, kudos to both of those guys on there. Um, they... they tore the roof off the place and the show unfortunately i would like to say only got better from here not so much the case yeah honestly this is probably where i would have stopped it if it were my job yeah i would have had this i would have had this match be the be the the main event of the evening um they had roman reigns versus rusev for the u.s title next Mm-hmm. Um, only this match never actually got started, and Roman just came out and beat the shit out of Rusev until they kicked him back to the back, and Rusev couldn't compete. Yeah, um, this didn't make sense on a lot of levels, um, unless you're trying to build Roman up as to be this badass dude, which they've been trying to do for a year and a half. He's even been the WWE champ, and the fans still weren't behind him. Um, but this doesn't make any sense unless unless Rusev is legit hurt and can't really compete but the bumps he took during this brawl kind of precluded that so yeah i don't know man this this was a weird one um no decision on this match roman got sent to the back um rusev got helped off the ground roman came back and speared him again yeah obviously it he it, it can't really be an actual medical problem because Otherwise, Roman wouldn't come back and spear him again. Yeah, right. So, that's that's what's weird to me. So, I don't know where they're going with this angle. It's obviously not done. I I can imagine that it is not, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I'm saying we're still three and four at this point because there was no decision on that. We did predict Roman, I think, to go over on this one. Which counts because he kind of left victorious, if not with an actual... Right. We like, could have referee. said we were four for four because we did predict Roman to win and he obviously was the very clear winner of that match yeah that never happened um and then on to our main event which was lesnar versus orton uh this match we actually had orton picked to go over brock boy were we wrong yeah uh this was a weird match so first off again another weird thing for me like having not watched this in a long time is like neither lesnar nor orton seem like they should be like main eventers to me like they're interesting in that they're uh technically adept but they're not really good uh and like neither one of them i think picked up a mic the entire time well Heyman talked yeah Heyman talked which whatever does that barely counts to me um see i i disagree with that i like Heyman being the mouthpiece uh mouthpiece for lesnar because Heyman can draw heat yeah um Lesnar, I don't think is particularly good on the mic, nor do I think he particularly likes being on the mic. So that's kind of good. Um, Orton can talk, didn't. I like Orton. Uh, he just has been injured for a long time and just got back within the last month. So uh, I think they build this match as being the main event, but I don't think they did a proper job building it up 
for people to care about it being the main event. Yeah. Again, I only have like the preceding three hours to actually build, you know, like what I care about. But by the time this match came on, I didn't care about it. So, yeah. Um, Overall, this match was kind of a clusterfuck from the beginning. Um, Not at all what I thought it was going to be. Lesnar kind of dominated for a little while. Orton hit an RKO on a announce table that didn't break for whatever reason so that was weird that was kind of funny to watch actually um you could almost see the surprise on their faces when it didn't break drags lesnar through the through the ring or through the ropes does his ddt um and then all of a sudden he's got a massive gash on his forehead and there's multiple officials in the ring and they're calling the match a tko in favor of of lesnar yeah um and we were like, man, there's no reason this should end like this unless there's something else that's going to happen. And and then I thought, Lesnar called out Goldberg a few weeks ago. Just this week, Goldberg was traveling abroad and promoting WWE, WWE 2K17 and made mention of the fact that he was on his way to the airport for a flight to New York for the weekend, implying that he was going to be... In New York. And I was like, like, you know what? This makes sense. All of a sudden, Shane comes out. Lesnar F5 Shane in the middle of the ring. And I'm like, that's it. That's what they're going to do. Goldberg's going to come out. He's going to spear him. And they're going to do a huge, long, drawn-out build until WrestleMania. Yep. And then instead, they just ended the show. (laughs) They were just like, nope, we're done. Yeah. So... I will watch Raw tomorrow, more than likely. So I'll I'll get a little bit more info and find out what's going on. Uh, I will at the very least have watched Raw by the time we record next. So I'll be able to <laughs> uh, catch anybody up who maybe missed it or whatever. But um, yeah, we ended the show three and five for our predictions. And what a weird ending. Yeah, that was, that was strange. Like... Uh, again, I haven't watched for a long time, but there were some basic beats that kind of happen, you know, regardless of time frames and stuff like that. And that was kind of a, like a weird end to a show for me. Well, and this was a four-hour show, like six if you count the pre-show, because the pre-show went from two to four, and it had a couple matches during that. Yeah. Um, and then this show was from four o'clock until eight oh five ish. But the last couple pay-per-views that have been like normal three-hour pay-per-views have gone until like eight twenty. Yeah. And so that's what was weird to me. Is you have a, a pay-per-view that's a big show already, and you have an opportunity to do something with that last match to make it make sense, and you just left it on the table. Yeah. So, anyway, that's that. That's wrestling talk uh, for the evening, and it's taken up a good, what, almost hour, 45 yeah. minutes or so. Um, so that's our SummerSlam recap. Um, we will do more of these in the future. Um initially uh it was going to be uh, ryan bailey a friend of the show who was gonna sit with me and, and watch this and then he fucking went to a concert that had like i don't know uh alter bridge and disturbed and all that good stuff yeah bastard yeah so he went to a rock show which you know that would have been awesome too especially given the end of this pay-per-view i kind of would have rather seen that <laughs> but i mean yeah at the end of the day, I'll probably just go home and try to watch YouTube 
you know, cell phone videos of that versus remembering the end of this particular pay-per-view event. Um, yeah. But what do you think? I mean, you haven't watched the product in a long, long time. So it's funny because, like, I, it did make me kind of want to watch the show on a more regular basis. Like, I, I don't think I can still, like, I can't be a hardcore fan of, like, you know, watching everything all the time and, you know, subscribing to the network and all that stuff. But it still was a very interesting like at the at the least like i'll be interested to come over here and you know um watch pay-per-views in the future so it's not unheard of to think that we might do this semi-regularly than when it when it comes to like pay-per-views and whatnot yeah gotcha well you know our shows about wrestling do tend to get more downloads than other shows (laughs) so (laughs) um all right well our glasses are empty, so we're going to go refill those. And when we come back, we're going to talk some, um, you know, legit comic nerd news for a while. Yep. Yeah, so we've got some Marvel news this week. Uh, Vin Diesel, actually, friend of the show, Vin Diesel. A.K.A. Candy Ass. <laughs> Which I don't get yet, so Matt's going to yep. have to explain in a second. Uh, Vin Diesel confirms that Marvel or uh, Guardians of the Galaxy will appear in Infinity War Part 1, at least. Sweet. Um, so, so the candy ass reference. All right. So, um, we just got done talking about WWE. So, why not talk a little bit more about WWE? Um, specifically, The Rock. A lot of the people listening are like, oh, right. Let's do that. And then yeah. the other people listening are like, fuck no. Yeah. <laughs> just stop. Um, specifically, The Rock. Um, if you're a fan of The Rock or Vin Diesel or otherwise, You've probably heard of a little franchise called The Fast and the Furious. Yeah, there's only like 19 movies. Uh, so filming recently just wrapped for Fast 8. Mm-hmm. Wherein The Rock talked about his uh, female uh, co-stars and about how professional they were and singing their praises. And then mentioned one male particular... Super- <laughs> yeah, one male co-star in particular, although without naming them, um, who he referred to as a candy ass, um, because apparently there were several times on set where things got a little heated. Um, and he said there was one scene in particular between him and a particular co-star that might seem like it wasn't acting. And he said, that's because it wasn't. <laughs> um, it was later confirmed by some mysterious weird video posts that Vin Diesel made to Facebook and Twitter um, that it was in fact Vin Diesel that The Rock was referring to. <laughs> okay, so this is kind of sad because uh, both uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Vin Diesel they seem by all accounts to be like two of the nicest people in the universe. Vin Diesel has had some moments in his career. Um, I think when they were filming Fast I don't know if it was five or six, I think, um, where production was kind of halted because he refused to come out of his trailer for like six hours past when they were supposed to start shooting. Interesting. Now, we don't know what that was. Maybe he had the flu. Whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes you got to shit. Yeah, sometimes. (laughs) Um, But there's been reports, not just the, the one time on the fast set but like other times that he's made filming difficult uh you know it is what it is um actors are actors and not everybody's a nice guy in hollywood and sometimes people are nice guys but 
shit still doesn't work out. Um, we tend to not rag on Vin Diesel too much because he is a fucking nerd. Yep. Like card carrying D and D playing nerd. Yep. But he's uh, part of the club. Like when we meet on Tuesdays, Vin's very nice. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Um, some things happened between he and the Rock on the on the set of Fast Eight. And I'm more curious now than ever to watch that movie, so maybe that's the plan. Having not watched a Fast and the Furious movie since two, uh, I got a lot of catching up to do. Dude, you should. You should. Honestly, so here's the thing. I liked Fast and the Furious, like the original one. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not a car guy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, that whole thing escapes me. But it's still, that movie was a legit cool movie. I liked it. Um, I'm also a big fan of Paul Walker, who I think, did a lot of good fast, on this fast eight is probably going to disappoint then well i mean i think he <laughs> did a lot of good on this earth while he was here yeah um even if he's not the greatest actor on the planet yeah uh and then so fast or too fast too furious that was the second one right i think mm-hmm. and that was the one with uh tyrese yeah tyrese no vin diesel so it was a little curious about that and then they did tokyo drift and that movie didn't have fucking anybody (laughs) that movie was like the bastard child of the franchise i think because the next movie came out and all of a sudden they had actually like they returned to form a little bit and well here's the deal like it had a small cameo at the very end and vin diesel was in it yeah just tokyo drift was just boom he was there for a second and then gone but then they did Fast and Furious, which was the fourth movie, and it brought the original cast back. You know, you had Paul Walker, um, Vin Diesel. Uh, you had, uh, what was her name that played Letty? Uh, Michelle Rodriguez? Yep, that would be the one. Uh, and then the chick that played Vin Diesel's sister, I think it was, in the original movie. Like, she was back as well. I don't remember her name at all. Lots of guys. Anyway... It was it was fun. Like I I saw that movie and I was like, this is fucking cool. Like this is way cool. And then Fast Five, you introduced the Rock's character, mm-hmm. and that was a good movie because it had all the other guys in it as well. Um, although I, Michelle Rodriguez maybe not in it until the end, if I'm not mistaken. Spoilers. Um, and then Fast Six came out, and then obviously Fast Seven kind of made the headlines before the movie ever premiered because Paul Walker died before the movie was done being filmed um and this movie kind of makes me cry a little bit because there's scenes in it where his brother fills in the dialogue one of his brothers mm. and even does some of the scenes like where it's not like right on his face like some of the the walkaways and things like that um and it's ridiculous like the way like that movie they basically after he died they kind of changed direction on some of the things and made it like this giant send-off to his character that's kind of a cool thing to do. Yeah. Um, but it hits you in the feels. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding about that. Like, I was I was pretty impressed by how they pulled it off. Um, and I'm not going to spoil anything about it, um, about that particular movie, just because I think everybody should see it knowing kind of the struggles that it took to make it. I feel the same way about the original Crow movie with Brandon Lee. Like, that movie was a struggle to finish because he died during filming. Yeah. And they had to think outside the box to get it done same thing with this one 
I hope that in the way that uh, The Crow turned out, uh, I hope that Fast 8 turns out similarly because The Crow, in spite of the fact that Brandon died you know, in filming, uh, was an awesome movie. Well, Fast 8, I'm not sure. Um, it's uh, it's going to be centered more around the um, Luke Hobbs character and the, was his name, Dom? Dominic, I think. Yeah, that's Vin Diesel. Um, against, uh, what's his name? I have no he, idea. He talks like this, and he's English. I haven't watched English this bold. movie for like uh, Jason Statham. Maybe? Yep, he, he, bold English guy. Yep, you got it. <laughs> you know what's hilarious? <laughs> I just guessed Jason Statham. Yeah, that's him. Like he's the bad guy. So, yeah. Uh, and, that, and that'll be interesting. This one, I don't think is going to have any even mention of Paul Walker or his character in in it. So we'll see when it comes out. Yeah. And then back to what we were actually talking about. But that's about. why Vin Diesel's a candy ass. <laughs> yeah. Vin Diesel uh, confirmed that um, in the the article, you need to go read this article we posted because although I'm usually not a fan of Gawker properties, uh, io9 uh, posted this this thing, which was basically like the opening line of something like, uh, Marvel movies are under extreme uh, secrecy, but Vin Diesel was like, fuck that, and it's like, here you go. Uh, the Guardians are going to appear in Infinity War. Um, which I'm a big fan of first off, because I, I think surprisingly for a lot of people, guardians was a really good movie. Um, so I've, I've been excited to see how they get back into the Marvel U, uh, uh, just in general. And I wasn't sure if they would actually get back into the main universe without, uh, you know, having another standalone film or whatever, but it turns out they're going to be in infinity war. Well, we're getting guardians too, before we're getting infinity war. Cause it's we? done filming. Oh, you're you've got a good point there. And they don't start filming Infinity War until November. Yeah. So the good news is, either way, we're getting <laughs> either way, whether I'm right or totally wrong, uh, we're getting Guardians in Infinity War, um, which is really exciting. Uh, the other thing that that tells me is that the scope of Infinity War is going to be ginormous. Yeah. Well, we knew that anyway. I think, um, which. So I'm I'm glad the Russo brothers are directing, just because of the fact that. Amen. Um, I, I mean, if you, and we've talked about this before, and this is going to sound repetitive and whatever, but Winter Soldier, Captain America, Winter Soldier is one of the best movies that's been produced in this decade, Marvel or otherwise. Yeah, it's certainly, it's at the top of the tier for Marvel movies. Yeah, uh, and then Civil War fantastic fucking job with civil war had a lot of characters in it every single one of them though made sense yeah the thing that i liked about civil war is that um they managed to balance this gigantic cast which is like whedon-esque in its talents yeah yeah no i i I think uh infinity war or whatever it's going to be called because the other thing we posted in the show notes is that Infinity War Parts 1 and 2 are probably going to be retitled. I think it's very likely that Infinity War will remain the title of the next one, but Infinity War Part 2 will probably be called something else. Yeah. And the Russo brothers basically say, there's a good reason for that, and it'll be obvious once you see Infinity War. Well, and they went a little further into that, too. And basically, the reason for that is is these are two entirely different movies. They are not... One of them is not an unfinished movie that the other one will finish. They're they're separate movies. Yeah. Although they're filming them back to back, which 
That makes me hopeful, though, because like uh, Civil War is its own self-contained thing that was really fun to watch. But at the other hand of things, or the other set of things, there's a lot of story to be told after Civil War. Yeah. You know, so I hope that, that that's what they mean when they say Infinity War Part 2 is going to be retitled. Yep. And shooting starts in November, so we're just a couple months away from probably getting some stills from the sets and all that kind of stuff. And all kinds of rumors and what have you. Yeah. Um, have you heard anything about the Kurt Russell character uh, following the Comic-Con reveal, by the way? Not a tiny bit. Uh, for Guardians 2. This is specific to Guardians 2. So he is Star-Lord's dad. Nice. Uh, but his character is Ego. Interesting. Do you, are you familiar with Ego? Uh, explain it to uh, the audience. Ego is a living planet. Um, it's kind of the Marvel analog to Mogo from DC's Green Lantern continuity. Okay. Um, only he's played by Kurt Russell, so he's not going to be an entire planet, I, I'm guessing, at this point. But we'll we'll figure it out, I guess. It'll be interesting. I wasn't at Comic-Con, so I didn't get to see the um, the footage or anything. And that is actually one of the few pieces of footage that we haven't seen out of Comic-Con this last month. Yeah. Um, if you want us to be at Comic-Con next year, questions at whatever.co. <laughs> yeah. Um, download our shit and let us get some numbers that we can take to sponsors and be like, hey, guess what? These guys, they like what we say. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, you should like what we say and pay us to do it. Yeah, so, man, I'm just, just the the scope of which, first off, th- could this be the most expensive movie ever? Possibly. I mean, we've we've got a, a huge gamut of stars that are slated to be in this movie, so. Well, if, we're talking about Guardians again. Uh, well, sorry. Not as, not as huge a gamut, but. Infinity War. Going into Infinity War, yes. Infinity absolutely. War could be hugely expensive, nothing for, else for the fact that basically everybody in the Marvel U so far is going to be in it. Yeah. With some rare exception, like it's not going to be as heavy, I think, towards the um, the the uh, the main Avengers, which I would say are Tony Stark, uh, Iron Man, Captain America, and Thor, um, and pro- probably the Hulk too. I think the Hulk's going to be mostly off planet for this movie, but that leaves. No, I the- think he's back. Oh, you do, you do think so? Yeah, because I we're filming Thor Ragnarok right now, so I think even it'll be out before before Infinity War. I don't know if he's back by part one. Yeah, but by part two or whatever the hell it's called, like I think we definitely have a Hulk, and I think oh. we're gonna get a good explanation of what's going on with the Hulk by the time we're done with Ragnarok. By part two, I agree. I think he will be back. Um, my hope is, and and this is like really, really super pie in the sky that I don't believe will actually happen. We ever get a planet Planet Hulk movie? I, I think I think Ragnarok. We're gonna get the tail end of a Planet Hulk movie, and that's about the end of it. Like I think that's all we see. You're probably right, but. So anyway, this, this is going to be a huge deal, I think, and I'm looking forward to it. And with the Russo brothers at the helm, like I feel pretty confident. And the other thing that I feel pretty confident about, like we mentioned that the Russo brothers were talking about retitling this, like it makes me hugely happy to see that they're getting influence over the the actual properties because we've talked about this before um, in Marvel. The directors aren't necessarily like the be all end all control freaks that exist in a lot of other movies and uh, studios. Uh, in Marvel, a lot of the times the director you know fills a function but is not sort of the driving force behind any particular project. Uh, that would be the Marvel machine in most cases. Yeah. Uh, but the Russo brothers, we've seen Civil War. We've seen The Winter Soldier. We've seen lots of other stuff they've done, and it seems like they can fucking nail it. So Honestly, I've... I think Winter Soldier and Civil War are probably two of the more successful of the Marvel properties anyway. 
I think it's a big so. testament to the entire Marvel universe that Civil War, the story, got told in a Captain America movie versus being its own separate thing. Dude, I'm not. And here's the thing: Civil War, be damned. Like I will still watch Winter Soldier. Oh, for sure. Anytime somebody puts it on, like there's there's not there's not a reason for me not to watch it because that movie is so fucking cool. Like it is a really really good movie, and I've seen it a hundred times at this point. I entirely agree. It is a very good movie, and uh, even forgetting the fact, like, forget that the Marvel Universe exists for a second, and it's still a really good movie. It's, it's yeah, it's like a spy-slash-espionage film, and yep. would do well anyway. So, yeah. No, I, I dig that movie quite a bit. Um, we have... Just one more piece of Marvel news, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, we may have even talked about this on the show because it feels like this is not news entirely. But uh, Zendaya will play uh, Tom Holland's Mary Jane in Spider-Man: Homecoming. Who I mistakenly referred to as Zendaya yeah. earlier. So did I. Uh, honestly, so did I. My daughter was like, uh, "Dad, it's Zendaya." Thank God she, for nine-year-olds. She rolled her eyes like I was retarded, and. Maybe I am. It's it's that'd be fair to guess. I mean, but, she's not entirely wrong. Yeah, but it was really funny because I was like Zendaya, Ellie, Ellie. I, I was telling her, you know, Zendaya, this this uh, person you watch on the Disney Channel is going to be in in Spider Man, and she's like, Dad, it's Zendaya, and then the biggest eye roll you've ever seen. Oh my god. Oh my god. Yeah. So um, it was really funny because of that whole thing. But uh, Zendaya is going to be in uh, Spider Man Homecoming. Dad, I can't believe you just said that. I'm going to go back to doing nine-year-old things. Yeah, which apparently is making music leads, which is... I don't want to even try to explain I it. I don't even know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just wait. So we have an MJ of color, is what you're saying. We do. Uh, so this is funny, because there was a couple of anecdotes that uh, surrounded this. So there's not a whole lot of news here. First off, I've seen Zendaya in, th- in things, thanks to my children, and it doesn't seem entirely outlandish. Uh, secondarily... Um, you know, playing against Tom Holland's Spider-Man, it it further doesn't seem outlandish. Like I was picturing the two of them together, and at least uh, um, in my mind's eye, they could have chemistry and, and be a good you know uh, foil for each other. But the thing that's interesting about this to me is, of course, um, a person of color was announced playing a typically white character, and consequently, a large portion of the internet shit itself. Yeah, yeah, um, literally that section of the internet where it sits there's giant splatters on the wall yeah behind it's it. just all poop emoji all the way around yeah um, um that's weird though because honestly this chick is hot i yes i know but you have to see past her hotness and see into the mind of racial bigots i don't want to though because all i'm like well that's what defines mj as being mj okay yes classically she has red hair yes in the comic true. books but ultimately what defines her is that she is a super hot model who is way out of Peter Parker's league. And I think they nailed it. <laughs> yeah, like, honestly, that's kind of a thing about uh, the Mary Jane character or basically any of the, you know, like the other big character in Peter's life is, you know, f- actually, fuck it, forget it. Like, doesn't matter which woman character you're talking about compared to Peter Parker, they're all way out of his league. Whether you're talking about Gwen Stacy, whether you're talking about Black Cat, basically they're all... Firmly out of Peter's league. Well, I mean, the thing about the Gwen Stacy character is when she died in the comic book continuity, that was what? Spider-Man 122? (laughs) That pause was brought to you by Matt looking up at his wall to check the frame poster (laughs) thing uh, where where that issue resides. So, Uh, And 
that's a long time ago in Spider-Man continuity. <laughs> For sure. Um, so I'm not sure she was drawn as hotly as the uh, Emma Stone Gwen Stacy. That's all I'm saying. Like, I'm not sure she was meant to be, like, supermodel hot. Honestly, when, when we saw Spider-Man, uh, Amazing Spider-Man and Amazing Spider-Man 2, like, one of the things that I had a hard time sp- suspending disbelief about was that Peter Parker, forget the fact that he's played by Andrew Garfield for a second, but just that Peter Parker in general, the character of Peter Parker, would be able to pull tail like Emma Stone. Here's my thing. I saw that movie, and I was like, all right. And my wife was like, well, what do you mean? Because she's like, that's just the chick from Zombieland. I'm like, I don't even care about that. I was like, her name is Gwen Stacy. I mean, she's going to die at some point. (laughs) I was like, I don't know if it's going to be the next movie or whatever, but that's going to happen. And then I was vindicated when Amazing Spider-Man 2 came out. And one of the parts of that movie, like, that made that, like, that movie kind of blew when it came to the villain aspect of it. Oh, it definitely did. And I, I mean that it's a, it's a with classic, all due respect like, to the dude that played uh, fucking Harry Osborn because that kid was amazing. I just didn't like Jamie Foxx as Electro at yeah. all. And again, not because a award-winning Jamie Foxx was a bad actor, but because the way, the direction they took with the character was shitty. Yeah, it was really weird. It was like an, a weird amalgam of like the ultimate Electro versus the standard 616 continuity Electro, and it just didn't kind of make sense with the rest of the movie they were making. Yeah. Um, I liked that kid that played Harry Osborn, though. He was, like, he reminded me of kind of a young DiCaprio. He really does seem like off-brand, you know, parallel universe DiCaprio, which is, is, is a compliment because DiCaprio is basically gold at this point. Yeah, I mean, well, you you don't get fucked by a bear and not get a get an Oscar. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I don't uh, even titles. I, show titles right there. That's the show title. Yep. You don't get fucked by a bear and not get an Oscar. And I don't know, I've never even watched that movie, but I've heard there's a big scuttle about him getting fucked by a bear, and I just make fun of people for that. So uh, I I've had have had that uh, on my to watch list for a long time, and now thanks you've ruined the entire movie. Yeah. Well, <laughs> as I understand it, it doesn't happen that far into the movie. So yeah. Um. um yeah, but so we have an MJ. Um, here's the thing, man. I don't care what color she is. She can be purple. But as long as she can be MJ and convince me that she's MJ, that's all that matters to me. So, God, this is the thing that I struggle with just anytime anybody gets all pissed off about casting for comic book characters. And I got to be honest, like, stop right here because I know a lot of you are, like, throwing shit at whatever you're listening to with us on because we've been... Uh, or uh, let's just speak for myself for a second. I've been a little negative about, say, like Gal Gadot as um, Wonder Woman because and wrongly so. She's not. Yeah, she doesn't look like the typical <laughs> Wonder Woman character. And you know, like so far on the basis of like trailers, I feel like I'm going to be eating my words because I feel like she's going to do the role justice. And you know, similarly, like back in the day when everybody was like Heath Ledger. That does not make any sense for the Joker at all. And obviously, we were famously, fantastically wrong about that decision. Um, that's the way that I'm going to fall on this whole Zendaya thing. Like, if you're stopping and thinking, oh, my God, they made her black. She can't be black. Oh, my God, what am I doing? First off, consider your life choices because um, uh, people being black shouldn't be the first thing that you see. Um, secondarily, yeah. the Flash, man. We've got the Flash, the Flash TV show in which Iris West is played by a black woman. And it's a fucking really cool. Gorgeous black woman. 
I mean, yeah, that's secondary, but the thing is, like, it's it it works out fine, and I never really paused to stop and consider that. Actually, the opposite is true. They made the relationship work. Like, that's the thing. Like, it made sense. Like, why the characters knew each other, why they were close with one another in the first place. Like, all of that stuff works on on a level that's more meaningful than whether or not they're both white or otherwise. Yeah, so the thing that's going to, I think, be the deciding factor here for me with this movie is if they decide to, and and I really do, it's almost impossible that they're going to go this direction, but if they decide to make her her being black like a thing that's going to be a plot point in the movie, uh, which I, I, I firmly believe they're not. Like, the best way that they could handle this is, and, and I'm assuming this is, because this is just the rational way to think about this. Like, the color doesn't matter, and you should cast, you know, whoever, you know, because and, and tell the story. And the color of whoever is in the story should not matter unless you're specifically advancing an agenda, which I don't think that it's necessary for Spider-Man to do. So, the the way that I'm going to judge this movie is, like, if she comes out looking like a character in Medea's whatever the fuck, then I'm going to be upset. Otherwise, I don't. <laughs> well, they didn't cast Tyler Perry to play MJ, so yeah. I think we're all right. Otherwise, if they just look at like MJ as a character, and what are the things that make MJ MJ? Like, as much as uh, her having red hair is something that we've typically seen, like she's typically been drawn with red hair, that's not really what defines MJ as a character, and it's not really the thing that I'm going to get hung up about, so move on. Um the other thing that I thought was a little bit interesting here is that uh, my daughter, maybe my wife, was telling me, um, it's hard to tell, because I was telling, no, I think, I'm pretty sure it was my wife, Ashley, she was telling me. Um, Ashley because- and Ellie aren't all that far apart, though, so yeah. I can see where you would have a hard time drawing yeah. those lines. Yeah, uh, so the thing that uh, Ashley was telling me was that Zendaya was uh, originally going to star in an Aaliyah biopic, Aaliyah, the R&B singer who died um tragically in a plane crash also known as queen of the damned yeah uh she was gonna start uh zendaya was gonna star in very good (laughs) that's actually probably where i most remember Aaliyah from which is kind of sad um was one of the few parts of that movie that i didn't hate was her casting as that role because they butchered the rest of that fucking movie (laughs) you're not wrong so the um Zendaya was originally in talks to play Aaliyah for um, an Aaliyah biopic movie. Um, Aaliyah, of course, like I said, being the uh, song singer who uh, died in a plane crash rather tragically. Um, With the big bopper? Yeah. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, regrettably, um, she pulled out of the role uh, basically saying, like, there's far too much hate because Aaliyah, or she's not black enough to play Aaliyah. Yeah, see, that's stupid. It is like, entirely when you're, stupid. When you're getting when you're getting shit on for roles from both sides of the spectrum about your color, like that's come on, guys. See, so the thing was that you know, again, this is all rumor and conjecture and whatever, but like her pulling out of the Aaliyah biopic because she didn't want to get all of the hate because you know the color of her skin, essentially, um, you know, not being black enough to play Aaliyah, and now she's gonna play a black MJ. I just, I fear for the poor girl because, like, if you think you got hate before for not being black enough, just wait until you get hate for being too black because, my God, is there a sizable portion of the internet that is just horrible. Well, here's the thing, man. A lot of people don't like it when roles are recast and and genders or colors are swapped. 
I'm not one of those guys. See, Johnny Storm in the most recent Fantastic Four fucking mockery of a movie that it was. My problem was not that he was black. My problem was the movie sucked. <laughs> you know, um, whenever I think about uh, gender swapping or recasting or changing the color of a character, one of the things that jumps to mind is Starbuck in Battlestar Galactica. Because Starbuck, of course, was a rather famously gender-swapped character, and it worked out fucking fine, because the thing was that they kind of maintained the essence of the character. Well, here's the deal, though. And gender-swapping, again, is not nearly as big of a crime as as race-swapping in a lot of of ways um, in the eyes of the world. Um, Because you had Katie Sackhoff... Please continue with that sentence, because... God. You had had Katie Sackhoff take on the role of Starbuck and that chick is like she's good looking by anybody's standards but then when you like throw that into a room full of uh basement dwelling nerds mm. like you're not going to lose you know what i mean <laughs> um when it comes to race though that's that's a little more touchy and it shouldn't be obviously i i think it's stupid like if you look at Man of Steel and Superman, Batman, or Batman, Superman, Donna Justice, like Perry White being black isn't what made those movies lower on the scale than they should have been. See, this is you know the, the other mean? part where I kind of feel a little bit sorry for women because I also feel like nobody gave a shit that Perry White was black. That's part and, and, a good point. No small part because he was a man that was getting gender swapped. I feel like a little bit people are like not gender race. Yes, Perry sorry. White's always been a dude. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, but I feel like a little bit of this is like, you're a woman who's also going to be a gender gender swapped character. Like, fuck you. Like, uh, you know, I feel a little bit bad because like, there, there's no reason that anybody should be particularly outraged by this, but uh, obviously well, people are going to be. And this is, this is kind of the, on the same lines as uh, Doctor Strange, which comes out in November. Like, um, the ancient one, they didn't pick an Asian person to play it. It's Tilda Swinton. Yeah. And the internet fucking shat itself about that too, which we talked about a little bit. I think, yeah, yeah, we did, and it's it's dumb. Like it's just absolutely flat out dumb. Like again, you're right. The essence of Mary Jane is what matters. If Zendaya can pull it off and make me believe that she's Mary Jane, I don't fucking care what color she is. I don't care what color anybody is if they have the ability to assay the role that they're that they're given. Yeah, great. Same with Tilda Swinton. Like, in fact, nobody should give a shit that the Ancient One is Tilda Swinton. And the reason why is because if they had portrayed it as it was portrayed in the comics, they would have been called blatantly racist because they would have cast somebody to talk like Jackie Chan, who was Asian. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's this is a no-win scenario for Marvel. So they're doing what they want to do and fuck the rest. And I think that's the right way to handle it you know at this point i just trust marvel so if they're doing this absolutely i I figured there's like a good reason for it and and you know and and credit to zendaya i feel like the good reason is probably because she was actually good like she tested well against tom holland and you know she actually seemed like she could play the part well i'm gonna say zendaya not tilda swinton yeah did i say (laughs) i i'm pretty sure i said zendaya nope play it back fun (laughs) whatever not like we're recording this thing or anything 
cutting this out. Um, <laughs> no. So yeah, if you're busy sitting at home being racist, uh, please stop. You're not helping anybody. Yeah, just just don't. Yeah. Uh, last part we're going to talk about Infinity War parts one and two will likely be retitled, and we I think talked about that. Yeah, we did. We did. Um, I'm going to actually segue us into um, not anything that we have posted in the notes, but a little bit on the DC side of things. Go for it. Uh, we talked last week about the musical episodes uh, that are going to be a crossover between The Flash and Supergirl. Yep. So, um, just in perusing the internet over the last week, I have kind of dug a little bit into some things. And so, the overall prevailing theory when it comes to Supergirl as it pertains to the rest of the CW-verse at this point, mm-hmm. they're going to use Flashpoint, I think, as as the catalyst to bring her into main continuity, which I think we kind of talked about already. I was going to say, good job that that's the prevailing theory, because that was our prevailing theory when we heard about the news that Supergirl was going to come to the CW-verse like uh, three months ago. Correct. Um, But we did also talk about a four-part crossover that takes place at the end of November. Yep. um, Which I believe is what they're going to use as the catalyst. Like, that's going to kind of be the thing. Because Supergirl is going to start, I think, just a week later than the rest of the CW series. Okay. Um, in October. And so, I think they'll be into the fourth episode, whereas Supergirl will be into the third for the crossover. So, there's really only going to be, like, I think, two Supergirl episodes um, in the, quote, old continuity. Gotcha. Um, and then and then this will bring her into the, the fold, so to speak. Um uh, the other thing, too, is that I was listening to a podcast with Kevin Smith last week where he talked about the musical episode because somebody was like, why don't you direct the musical episode? That would be awesome. And Kev was like, you know, I think they're going to bring in a big gun for that one. And then he talked about having heard that Whedon might be involved in that as well. So, Ooh, where there's smoke. And yeah. that's a lot of fucking smoke. Yeah. So who knows, man? I'm it. It's It's out there. It's not just us. Yeah. I mean, unless Kevin's just like getting all of his his insider information from the internet, like the rest of us losers, uh, <laughs> which uh, could be. I mean, we don't know. <laughs> it could be, but I have I kind of have the feeling that like he he could if he could just ask, like he could just go up and be like, "Hey, uh, so I, I kind of want to direct that episode," and they're gonna be like, "Now nah, Whedon's doing it." Yeah, yeah. Psh, no. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, that that's exciting. I think that that's going to be fun in, in general, and uh, it's good to hear confirmation that the fan theory, like this, is maybe the first time I've ever gotten a fan theory right. So nice. Who's who loves you, baby? Yeah. All right. Um, let's talk about comic books. We are into the comic book section of the show. I'm almost out of beer, though. Yeah, I got. I, I'm good, but let's pause. Yeah, because I'm going to need another beer. I don't have to go anywhere. Refer to your notes for comic books, which we're going to talk about next. And, of course, we are solidly living in the DC Rebirth universe at this point, so uh, that's what we're going to talk about. So, Matt, lead us through, because as it happens for the first time, and obviously (laughs) if you listen to episode, I think, 49, uh, I was uh, very far behind in the comics. I I missed a couple of books. Uh, But this one, I did not. I read them all. All right, so... Except for maybe one that we both agree kind of sucks. There's a couple things that I didn't read. Um, I did not read Batgirl and the Birds of Prey number one. Okay. I did not read Harley Quinn number two. Mm, not surprising. I. I did not read Nightwing number three. I did. It was okay. And I did not read Suicide Squad number one. I did read Suicide Squad number one, and I actually kind of like that one. I will. I will read these. I just didn't get to it before the show this time. So, well, sorry, Harley. I promise I'm gonna read your book. 
Yeah, the first book, like, we talked about this a little bit before the show, and uh, we both kind of considered reading Harley Quinn number two optional, and um, I do want to read it. I feel like I should give the book a fair shake and make sure I'm not, like, making a premature decision based on one book. Uh, but the you know general consensus right now is that that is just about the only rebirth title that I've just been like meh, like I'm gonna force myself to read the next one essentially. Yeah, like you weren't the biggest fan of the Deathstroke book, I don't think either. But even I did, I did actually like Deathstroke. What I didn't like necessarily was that I f- I was a little confused about the storytelling about it. So yeah, I think it'll be more relevant when it comes like when number one comes out. I think it might flesh it out a little bit. I think but, so too. Um, so I started with Aquaman. Which I did read, and that was a fun book. It was a really fun book. So um, so here's my notes. I'm just going to read these out. Um, Mira equals badass. Concur. And Chief of Staff is a dick. Also, yes. And Big Blue. Agreed. <laughs> so um, the last episode, or the last episode, the last issue ended with uh, Mira breaking out Aquaman from the prison because she was not getting a good vibe from the Chief of Staff. Mm-hmm. Um, so she broke him out of the prison, federal prison. Um, and they were like, yep, we are superheroes. So we don't have to deal with you pieces of shit and your stupid guns. Only there was a lot of guns. There was a super lot of guns and, and it, tanks. It, and uh, it was kind of funny because it even kind of waylaid Aquaman and Mira a little bit. And uh, the whole issue is basically like Aquaman being like, no, don't kill everybody. And Mira being like, but they're really pissing me off. You know, like, come on, they're so stupid. Yeah, they keep hitting us with shit. They're trying to kill us. It's only fair. Um, so Aquaman, I, I like this book because it kind of portrayed that Aquaman has a very firm sense of morality, even though he is actually... Uh, a little bit uh, um, un- the underdog here going against all these tanks and what have you. Well, the thing about Aquaman that I don't think it's talked about enough is he is half human. He is. And so he really, really wants this whole treaty thing to work out. Um, not just because of that, too, but like just because he's tired of his people being so uh, against surface dwellers. Yep. But let's face it. I'm a surface dweller. We're dicks, dude. We we kind of are, um, but like this this book was, I mean I think it took me like five minutes to read the entire book, not because of the dialogue or anything like that, because um, it was a good read. It just it read so quickly. Like uh, when it comes to when it comes to Mira, like she's probably one of my favorite superheroes in that like there's tanks and she's like okay I'll just rip your whole gun off. Yeah, and then punch your dude in the face. I, I did like that. Like, like I guess she could be troubled for a second to not kill everybody. Yeah, like my note on this one literally reads "Mira equals badass." <laughs> so, um, and then there's a whole scene in in the war room with the chief of staff and everything, and he is throwing his weight around like nobody's business, mm-hmm. just being a fucking cock, and he knows he's being a cock. So there's that, and then, so they kind of end up in a situation that looks like it's inescapable. Yeah. And then Aquaman's like, hey, hey, Mira, stop. And she's like, what are you talking about? we got to get out of here. And she's like, oh, never mind. And that's because Superman's there. Yep. That would um, be so the big blue. The, the I don't know. Wait, I don't know where this is going to go, but I think that's pretty interesting. Like, 
Superman being there, I think, legitimizes the the whole endeavor a little bit because, like earlier in the book, somebody was like, uh, "But Aquaman's a member of the Justice League. We can't just fucking yeah. kill him." And he's like, "No, he's just a member of the Justice League because I needed people." Yeah, and I kind of think Superman showing up is sort of going to legitimize everything a little bit. Like they're going to hopefully, be like, hopefully, we... hopefully, Superman's not a dick. Yeah, I, I think I, I, I that's what I'm hoping, but I, I'm kind of hoping like they're going to be like, okay, so. He's buddies with Superman, and obviously Superman being the moral compass for the entire universe at this point. Like, do we really want to kill him? I'm hoping Superman turns around and is like, hey, so do you guys listen to him at all? Like, he, He's with me. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that's kind of how that works out. Not that, in a way, in a way I'm not, though, because Aquaman doesn't need Superman to legitimize himself like i mean if you really look at aquaman for what he is in the comic book and stuff like that he's a badass it doesn't matter what you think as far as like oh he's got toxic fish whatever and affleck doesn't really help in that latest that <laughs> well that that's preview. the joke though i mean that is the joke and that's that's i think when you're talking to jason momo you're like i hear you talk to fish obviously you're doing that in jest otherwise you're taking the chance that he's going to ram a trident down your throat <laughs> yeah. so <laughs> the long way yeah. Um, but no, I I enjoyed this book a lot. I do too. Actually, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised because I actually enjoy Aquaman right now. Yeah, yeah. I haven't enjoyed Aquaman for a while. I did like the Jeff Johns run in the New Fifty Two, and this isn't far off from that at all. So yeah. All right. What else we got? Uh, I read Batman next. I also read Batman, and gosh, Batman is one of my favorite books at the moment. But this one, I think, was standout fantastic this one was a really really good issue of batman like i yeah really good um alfred in the bat suit right <laughs> that was awesome like so um if you're not reading the comics at home the basic story is we got this new superhero called gotham and his and, sister and and his sister and gotham and his sister are basically super powered they are badasses like on the par on the level of superman um possibly more Possibly. And uh, Gotham's parents have been, I think it's Gotham's parents, have been basically brutally murdered at this point. And Gotham, that just happened in issue four, I believe. Yeah, and Gotham is basically like, uh, Gotham, the, the superhero, is essentially like, well, it's the city. The city is a cancer, and we have to wipe the whole thing out. Well, he's been mind-fucked by, um, uh, what's his psycho name? Psycho-pirate. Hugo Strange and the psycho-pirate, yeah. Yeah. So... Um, we start out with Alfred in the bat suit. Like Batman can't get to where Gotham's at in time, and so he sends Alfred, yeah, to basically run the fuck into, yeah, into Gotham. Th- um, this just speaks, I think, to Alfred's a gigantic. Like he may not have the, co- the the judo skills and whatever that Batman does, but he has gigantic testicles. I love the entire like mental dialogue running through his mind when he's explaining to Thomas and Martha that it shouldn't be a problem being bruce's guardian should anything happen to them <laughs> i love it <laughs> that that is actually one of the standout parts of the book uh where he's like oh yeah it should be fine uh, he's just gonna go to school and whatever and it'll be no big deal yeah well just every every day will be wine and roses it's fine yeah yeah <laughs> and then of course he's he actually turns out to be a batman so yeah. um yeah alfred runs the fuck into gotham this superpowered being on the par of superman um with the batmobile and he gets out and he faces gotham and he's like uh dear. <laughs> yeah, and then Batman's like, "Never mind, I'm here." And so Alfred 
exit stage left. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, then you have Batman confronting Gotham, trying to talk him down. And obviously, he's still under the influence of the Psycho Pirate, so he's not being talked down readily. So Batman hurls the Batplane into Gotham, the character, not the city. Yeah, um, I do hate that about the naming. That's a little ridiculous. Uh, but yeah, that's one of the thing. One of the things that I enjoyed too was like again, Batman being Batman. Like, yeah. what are you gonna do? Punch me? Nope. Here's a fucking bat plane in your face. Yeah, um, I dug that part, and then you see Batman talk to Alfred again. Um, there's a little bit of dialogue going on. He's like, "Nope, call him in." And Alfred's like, "Are you sure? Because we're in Gotham. Because that's kind of the longstanding rule is like Batman oversees Gotham. Like the rest of the superhero club, no, no, they don't need to. Yeah, but Batman's like, "Yep, do it." And so then you you turn around and you see. Not just Superman, but the entire Justice League behind Batman. And Gotham turns around and Superman very kindly asks Gotham to please not resist. Yeah, please, I, I did. Please, please I did just this. stand down. Okay, so here's the thing that I really like. There's an interesting aspect of their power set, which we don't know yet. It's because nice my notes. Gotham Girl, uh, Gotham Girl being, you know, the sister here. She's in the Batcave. She's in the Batcave. And the thing that Psycho Pirate With did not Robin. Yeah, the thing that Psycho Pirate did to fuck her up was basically make her afraid of everything. Yeah, she's so scared. the obvious thing would be have Gotham Girl go face down Gotham, having not been mindfucked to, you know, want to destroy everything. Um, but of course she can't. So what instead she does is basically give them an idea of what their power set looks like. And their power set is basically that they expend their life force for power, as in... The more life they want to give, as in years, you know, like lifespan they want to give, the more powerful they are. So she says, like, we could be happy and healthy for a lifetime or we could be gods for, you know, a few days or hours or weeks or something like that. Like the the long and short of it is, is they're as powerful as they need to be. But yep, depending on how powerful that is, like their lifespans are, are cut severely. Yep. So, um, in the case of Gotham, he could be more powerful than Superman, although briefly. Um, right. But, you know, briefly is all you need. Once you beat Superman, it's it's all downhill from there. So. Yeah. Yep. So, that's pretty interesting. Um, the fight continues. Obviously, he doesn't stand down when Superman asks him to. Asks him to. Um, Batman essentially tells Gotham, hey, the city is not what's pissing you off. It's me. I wasn't strong enough to save your parents i wasn't strong enough to you know stop the psycho pirate or anybody else like this is all my fault so take me out and that works for a second and it's long enough for gotham girl to uh own up to her fears and intervene yeah um so the the big takeaway from this issue to me was i care who gotham girl is and she's going to be a focus on the next issue, and I'm all for that, and I want to see what happens. Yeah, because we're going into Gotham Girl Year One. Yeah, that's the next issue. So um, it it hasn't all ex- at all explained how they got that power. No, like, and I think Year One probably will. Yeah, I'm assuming. So I'm excited. I'm I'm going to read this one. I mean, yeah, I, guess, I was going to I anyway. I guess I'll keep reading one of my favorite books that we've had yeah. in DC. Reader no, this group. is awesome. This is the, the the Batman book is one of the standouts from since Rebirth. Like, obviously, yeah, second only to me in in my mind to Detective Comics. I really also like Detective centered book comics. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Uh, Superman, 
Yeah, Superman. Um, so Matt was talking before the show, and he was talking about, I think somebody had tweeted, or maybe he read on Reddit or something like that. Something yeah, along the lines of somebody complaining about how they hate Superman still, uh, or rather the continuity, and Matt being like, well, you're wrong, because this is actually the first book that I've been interested in, you know, since the New 52. The first Superman book, anyway, yeah. And I completely agree. Like, this is one of the books, like, Superman New 52, I was reading basically, like, because, like, uh, you know, if I, I just keep going, maybe we'll get to the part where it gets good. But this one, I'm reading, and I actually just legit enjoy it. It's actually just good. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. I mean, here's the thing. I'm not positive that some of the books from the New 52 that I read, I would have stopped reading if I had somebody to talk about the books with. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. But this isn't the only reason Superman is good. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's 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 Eradicator. Obviously, was is the main focus still. The last time we we talked about this, it was them basically fleeing Earth for the moon. In a, yep. in a like Superman was carrying their little tiny shuttlecraft thing. Uh, but we didn't know why. And the opening of this book is pretty badass because, like, Lois is like, wait a minute, what are we doing? Can you put us down? Like, are we done now? Like, <laughs> what's going on? And he's like, no, I'm taking you here. And basically where he took her is a bat cave that's on, on the moon. The moon. <laughs> because, <laughs> because he followed Bruce as yeah. Bruce was doing what Bruce does. Yeah, it was essentially Superman being like, well, I spied on Batman and he's got a bat cave on the moon and this is the safest place for you. So pause for a second. Number one, Batman is so cool, he's got a bat cave on the moon. Number two, Superman, of course, you know, figured that out. Number three, the safest place in the, you know, solar solar system for uh, uh, Lois and John, you know, Bruce, um, Superman's son, is the bat cave on the moon. Yep. Big testament to how awesome Batman is. Yeah. Do you want me to read my show notes? Go for it. Or my, my notes for this book? Do it. Yeah. Moon Bat Cave. Awesome. Eradicator eats Clark. He does. Clark eats Kryptonian souls. <laughs> he does. Those are my notes for this book. Yeah. So, um, essentially. It's badass, man. This book is so good. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed this one. And the, the thing that you missed in the notes that I'm surprised you did, Lois Batman. I, Lois bat, I didn't put Lois that in the notes. Suit thingy. The I didn't bat. put that in the notes, and that's because I didn't have to. Yeah. Like that. Like, you, it's just a standout memory. Yeah. No, it's so. So the entire thing is Eradicator is trying to basically erase John from existence, like Clark yep. and Lois's kid. Not his. He, not his. Not his Kryptonian side. He wants to absorb that. But in order to do that, he's basically got to kill the body. Um. He dismisses Lois as being this inferior thing anyway. And Lois is like, you know what? He just ate my husband. <laughs> Literally. And my kid is going to try and beat his ass. Like, I can't stop him because he's half Kryptonian and, and his dad's kid. And he just thumped me. The Eradicator literally just thumped me, and I'm going to do something about it now. So... She basically finds this bat suit. The hell bat. The hell bat. I love it. And is like, nope, fuck you. I'm going to take you out. Meanwhile, 
Clark, who's inside the Eradicator, communing with the other souls of Krypton, he's like, no, no, we got to stop this guy. And they're like, blah, 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 souls. And he's like, all right, so we're in agreement then. Okay, I'm going to eat you now. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, This whole issue is solid. Like, I really, really like the Hellbat suit, though. Like, again, you you sit and think for a second, like, Batman's just a normal human. Except for the fact that he's got a Hellbat suit on the moon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the whole issue is, is solid from front to back. Um, I also like how they're progressing John. Like John uh, being Superman's son. Um, I like how they're progressing him from like like he doesn't know what his powers are to, you know, sort of quasi fighting the Eradicator. Yeah, no, this is this is fun, and we don't actually see the aftermath yet, so that's going to be probably issue six, I think, is when Superman actually confronts the Eradicator. We do find out more about the powers, though, kind of similar to Batman Five when we when we learn where the where Gotham and Gotham Girl got their powers. We learn that the Eradicator is kind of drawing his powers from the Kryptonian souls that are inside of him. Yeah. So when Superman ingests them, so to speak. It's kind of one of those things where all of a sudden the Eradicator is really just what the Eradicator is without that. Yeah. And now he's got to fight Superman, and that's 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 going to be fun. The last panel of this book, too, is just very badass. Like, It's not like heat vision coming out of his eyes. It's like straight up fire coming out of his eyes. Like, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I, I'm really enjoying Superman and that one guy on Reddit. Fuck off. Yeah. So we're going to talk about Justice League number three next because it kind of almost has a little bit to do with Superman as well. Um, in that we see a little bit of the dynamic between uh, Clark and Lois in terms of the league. Yeah. Uh, this book was... It's getting there, but it's not getting there fast. You know what I mean? Like, I like it for the most part, but the storyline is not progressing as quickly as I think it should. Like, it's kind of drawn things out a little bit longer than I would prefer in, in a comic book, especially with the scope of the Justice League. Mm-hmm. Um, we get to see some big people that, let's face it, look kind of like Dr. Manhattan. They do. Sometimes in different hues, but yeah, basically... I thought that the, that that's what they were doing at first because the 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 word boxes were orange, mm-hmm. which was very Watchmen like, and then all of a sudden you see this big dude, and I'm like, well, that's weird. I thought they weren't gonna, I thought they were gonna bury the lead on this for a while. Yeah, um, and it turns out they did because it doesn't have anything to do with this. But um, so you see those, and that's basically like dudes that are kind of comprised of all of the people that were quote possessed by whatever we were talking about the last time um and it kind of just is that for a while um they they decide that they're gonna send soups down into the core of the earth to destroy these weird machines that have been there since the beginning of time or whatever yeah maybe not but close enough and then there's the the whole scene between Lois and Clark, and that's weird to me because like every other book that has the two of them in it, she's like, "No, you need to be Superman. This, the world needs you. This is what you do. I'll try and shield John as much as I can, but this is this is what needs to happen." This one was like, "No, I'm pissed off at you because you're gonna go hang out with your friends." 
Yeah. And you want to protect John, but you can't. You need to let him be what he is. But completely different portrayal of Lois than anything else that we've seen so far. Yeah. Um, this is actually kind of a cool issue for a lot of reasons, too. Like, Clark Case takes off the cape and wraps it around John and Lois. Like, um, and you get this, like, inkling of what they both are because we get a Superwoman rebirth. I think we talked about that in the last show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, Superboy is presumably where we're going with John before Superman flies into the fucking core of the Earth, which, even for Superman, is giving him a little bit of trouble. My note on this is Clark goes swimming. It does. Into the deep end, for sure. So he's supposed to be taking out these machines, which are kind of embedded in the core of the Earth. And Cyborg's like, look, I can get you in there. I can't get you out. Uh, And keep in mind that these things have been in there for a long time, and they've withstood gravimetric forces and everything else. Yep. Um, And so Clark gets in there. He's like, man, I'm kind of disoriented. And then he gets to one of the machines. He's like, all right, I'm going to use my heat. Nope. Nope. Nope, you're dumb because <laughs> this is way harder than what I can do. Earth, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, no, so my last note like... on this is Clark is stumped. Yeah, so Clark doesn't know exactly how he's going to destroy this thing. Yeah. So this book for me is, I mean, it's all right, but it's not where the Justice League needs to be. I we're think. getting there. I think. I think we're getting there. We also don't really have an understanding of what the fuck is going on yet. So. Yo. Issue four, I think, should explain that. There Next go. issue, my favorite of this week's drop. Green Arrow number five. Probably also my favorite. Uh, another yeah. thing we talked about before the show, um, it's nice because the TV show Arrow is like, oh, we can't tell any more good great, uh, Black Canary stories, so we'll just kill her. Um Meanwhile, Green Arrow is fucking telling cool Black Canary stories that are just dominating. Um, so, yeah. Guggenheim, just stop. Yeah, Fuck off, Guggenheim. Yeah, That's seriously. all I'm going to say. Um, this is cool. The last time we talked about Green Arrow, they were aboard... Uh, well, Ollie and Dig were aboard a, a small vessel trying to get to a giant ship called the Inferno. Yep. Um, run by, oddly enough, a captain named Dante. Mm-hmm. Dante's Inferno. Weird. <laughs> you caught that too. Weird. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Um. So he's trying to burn people. Yep. And he make them reborn. And what else burn, would you expect? Burned and burdenedness. Um. But he also is kind of the king of the underworld banking industry. <laughs> yep. Um. So <laughs> this is actually kind of funny because in in the Green Arrow continuity, a lot of the times Ollie is like a uh, a big gigantic social justice warrior and he's all about like the um you know the little people little people versus the big people and uh um you know sort of robin hood more or less um it, not exactly but yeah kind of um and so this book is kind of taking that to the empty step because you know the big bad in this is basically a corrupt banker yeah and I have news for anybody that's ever referred to me as an SJW on the internet. Social justice isn't a bad thing. Yeah. It sort of depends on the context because there's some cases where people mistakenly label themselves as social justice warriors, in which case they mean I'm actually an oversensitive pussy. That happens. Yeah. Yeah, that does happen. 
but as a general rule, I don't think social justice is a bad thing. No, I don't think so either. <laughs> especially in the way that the okay, so like back to the Green Lantern book, like especially in the way that this book portrays it, like all I just wants like people to be better. Like you meant Green Arrow, I promise. I said Ollie. You said Green Lantern book. I did fucking not. You did. You I can did not. play it back. I dare you. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to market this so we can come back to this and <laughs> decide whether or not which one of us was retarded. Anyway, um, Ollie is just basically about like, you know, like the, um, like if the Occupy movement actually had a decent purpose, Ollie would be at its front. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I like that aspect of the character. Anyway, um, it's funny to me then that beca- that uh, Ollie becomes basically this uh, uh, foil for this you know giant banking cartel. So uh, yeah, this is fun. Um, one of my first notes is Dig goes undercover, and that's basically because they find this dude in a mask and beat him up and take his clothes. Yeah, um, and they send Diggle to go to the big meeting, the boy, the big board meeting, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, Dig's like, here, here's some bombs. Yep. And Ollie's like, but money. I like money. Yeah, he's like, but I'm poor now. Nobody knows who I am. And if I blow this whole thing up, I've got no money and no problems. You know, like, no way to solve it. And uh, so Dig's like, well, we'll call that plan B then, basically. And uh, they go through the whole thing and so on. Indeed. Um so he kind of goes around planting these bombs around, hoping to not have to use them because I like money. Yeah, he does. He does. He likes money too. Go away, Baton. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, but we we see Dig go to the board meeting, and then we also see one of my coolest, or one of my coolest, one of my favorite scenes in this book. Um, Emmy, as an Ollie's sister, is reunited with Ollie. Mm-hmm. wherein he is like, well, I'm going to kill you now. And, he, and she's like, you idiot. Like, I gave you every clue that I possibly could, <laughs> and you're too fucking dense to pick up on it. Yeah. Um, where she kind of recaps everything that she did to try and make sure he stayed alive and make sure he's found and everything else. Um, and I thought it was really cool, because that's where we were kind of heading with this anyway. Like, Eddie and I from the beginning have had the theory that she was on his side. Yeah. I like this too, because she's like, but if I can't convince you, she probably can. And then the canary shows up. Yeah. So canary who just got done freeing herself from, um, you know, the bad guys, uh, basically comes up and is like, you idiot and slaps him across the face. So, um, yeah, I like this because, and, and, you know, of course they promptly kiss afterwards. Uh, so I like this because again it serves as a good reminder of how well um, Black Canary Canary is a foil for a Green Lan- or Green Arrow. Fuck, I almost did it that time, but I didn't. Um, <laughs> serves as a good foil for a Green Arrow, um, and highlights you know like how they play off of each other as characters, um, and then it leads us kind of toward the end of the book in which. Um, Ollie decides that, yeah, we got to blow this fucking ship up, even though I'm going to lose all the money and I'll probably be stuck without any money and anybody knowing that I'm actually Oliver Queen. And he does. So he here's, blows. here's what I like about the, the dialogue between him and Emmy, though, is 
she lays it all out for him and tells him and everything. And she's like, yeah, I was reporting to the ninth circle and my mom the entire time. But when push came to shove, I chose you, you big dummy. Like, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Like I love that whole, that whole piece of dialogue there. She's like, God, don't be an idiot. Just, I I do like that actually, because it's, it's, um, it's not like she was a double agent. It's like, as she was doing this thing that was kind of bad, she realized that like, I'm doing this thing that's kind of bad and instead chose, you know, to follow Ollie. Yeah. No, I, I totally dug that. This, this book again, one of my favorites, like obviously I'm a huge fan of detective, uh, since rebirth, but this is right up there with Batman. I think for me, like, I don't know if I can pick a favorite between the two because they're equally great stories. I agree. But definitely one of my favorites. I also like it because we end up basically with Ollie um, crash landing on the island. Uh, pre- presumably Leon Yu. Um, <laughs> and, and, in which he just says, oh, not again. Oh, God. Not again. Uh, one more thing I want to talk about before we move on. This is still probably one of my favorite books from an artistic standpoint. So not only is the, the pencil work phenomenal in this but even the coloring like in that last panel where you see him you know sort of finding leon you the coloring is amazing there too do you want to know a secret go on all of the art in this book is done by the same person not just the pencils but the coloring as well oh really the only thing that's not done by him is the lettering uh so basically that guy is a fucking genius like i i really enjoy this book um for the art so or this is one of the books that i really enjoy for the art Go on. Um, what's our next book, Matthew? Supergirl Rebirth. Supergirl Rebirth. Um, so the book opens basically with the Supergirl um, being flown into the sun. Like she's that she gets sent off into Quite a literally, yes. Yeah. They're like, well, we'll throw you into the sun and hopefully you get, regain, um, you know, powers through um, being super exposed to solar radiation. So that's interesting because uh, number one, I don't know how she lost her powers to begin with because I didn't read anything prior to this featuring Supergirl. Matt, can you maybe help me out with that? Yeah, this is weird to me because I only caught a little bit of this in the what was that eight issue arc that we read by Tomasi, the Legion of Supermans? Yeah, of like they touched on this just a little bit about her not having her powers and whatnot, and that's yeah. the only thing I remember about this. Okay, so we're in the same boat then, basically. Yeah. Supergirl does not have powers, and their solution is, like, we're going to throw you at the sun, you'll regain solar energy, and blah, 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 and you'll have your powers. And so they do. That's that's basically the plan. Meanwhile, the big bad for our episode uh, issue is that um, back on Krypton, when there was a Krypton, um, Zor-El sentenced this guy who you know for lack of a better term was essentially a little bit schizophrenic um just a tad yeah infected by the red kryptonite essentially um he they he sentenced him to the phantom zone basically for the protection of krypton even though you know like he has a family and all that kind of stuff so sort of like a tragic anti-hero sort of character um not necessarily just a straight-up villain and so that character um lands on earth um, for reasons I can't remember exactly, and uh, 
starts, on yeah. is his name. And he gets to Earth because they rigged up a Earthling human-made phantom drive based on Kryptonian technology, which essentially freed him from the phantom zone to yep. from which he was banished before. So he gets up to Earth, and the Earthlings are immediately like, that guy's different, fucking shoot him. Yeah. Um, and so, of course, he tries to defend himself, and he's a little bit off anyway, so he starts, you know, wrecking everything, and, you know, they're calling for help, uh, and, of course, that's when Supergirl regains her powers and flies through. And one of the, my favorite it, parts of this issue is the, you know, piece of art when Supergirl's, like, uh, you know, gets out of the thing and basically can go after um, um, Laron or whatever, and I also like this issue because Laron, being a somewhat sympathetic bad guy, um, th- she manages to subdue him and basically be like, "But I'm not going to give up on you. You know, like I'll help you, I'll save you, sort of thing." I think that is probably what you're talking about. Yep. Yeah, and here's the thing: he is basically a Kryptonian werewolf. He is no, <laughs> like, uh. Not even a little bit different from the way you're describing it. Yeah, that is essentially that's, the thing. That's what he is. Um, here's one thing I noticed that I didn't. It's it's painfully obvious in this issue, and I like this book. Don't get me wrong. But does everyone from Krypton wear a cape? Like every single person? I think they do. It must be like the tie for them. I guess because everybody's got a fucking cape. Um, anyway, no, I I liked everything you liked about this, and including the dialogue between her, where she's like, "Here's the deal. Um, my dad might have fucked you, but I'm stranded here too. Yeah, and I can't promise you the world, but I can promise you that you're not alone. Kind of a thing. Yep. Um, and I like that. And honestly, it is Zorel's fault. That this dude it, totally. is what he is, at least from what we've been shown in the book so far. So, I mean, there's there's that. He's sort of the catalyst for how he gets his, you know, powers or whatever, and also how he gets stuck on Earth. So the the thing I liked about this though, he was he was like, so here's the deal: like your dad's kind of a dickhole, and that's why I am what I am. And she's like, well, I got news for you, buddy, because not only is my dad a dickhole, but he's dead, and so is your family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that was a solid bit, yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah, that's and I like the fact that she's totally um receptive to the fact that maybe her dad did some questionable things even after he sent her off. Yeah. So uh that's kind of cool. The DEO that's obviously new to comic books, I think since the, the Supergirl series started. Yeah. Um not something that I was familiar with before, but then all of a sudden their name cropped up in the uh, the Tomasi books that we read. Yeah. I think they're kind of uh, sharing a little bit, in, at least in that respect, where they're, um, you know, basically pulling from the TV show and there's a DEO in the comic books. And that's kind of how Supergirl is going to go from here. Like, it kind of sets up a little bit like the show. Like, Supergirl is going to be there helping out the DEO and so on. So This doesn't have to be a bad thing either. It doesn't. Um, they brought Felicity Smoke into the green arrow series too in the new 52 and i'm not seen hide nor hair of her since the rebirth started so no and i'm fine with that as well Indeed. they can go either way diggle diggle was not a, a, a comic book character from what i understand nope um and they've done a good job with him since rebirth so yeah why not yeah they've they've, they've taken characters that they think they can be in 
they can make it interesting etc um essentially so cw has got a lot of things going for it right now um i'm gonna keep watching arrow as much as i'm not still completely current on it but like just with the flash and the legends of tomorrow and, and supergirl coming into the fold I'm I'm hopeful, and I'm hopeful what can happen with Arrow too if they do the right thing with the Flashpoint crossover. Yeah, same. So, not not on rel- not not on topic with this particular issue of a comic book at all. But <laughs> just please, guys, don't fuck it up. What else we got? Uh, last one I read was Green Lanterns number five. Yeah, I also read Green Lanterns number five, and I'm still kind of on the mediocre fence about this book. Yeah, me too. Um, so Green Lanterns number five is basically following Simon Paz and Jessica Drew as um, Jessica fights to basically have any sort of spine at all, and Simon Paz tries to pick up her slack. Yeah, kind of. He's got this weird Emerald Sight thing going on. Yeah, which we haven't seen that fully explained so, at all. I, that was going to be one of my questions I meant to ask you as I was reading this. Is Emerald Sight a completely new thing to this continuity? Yes. Okay. So Emerald Sight is a completely new thing to this continuity, and there's a lot of things that seem to be unique to Simon Baz. Like, he seems to be able to cure characters of their rage, like Red Lanterns. Like, uh, Bleeze, I think, is the name. Well, just cure people in general, because yeah. his cousin, or whatever he was, brother, brother-in-law whatever he was able to cure him from his coma yeah and then he cured Blee's as well um only to have her revert back to a red lantern and be even more pissed off than she was before yeah um yeah that's weird the the emerald site thing like he tried that against atrocitus who was the leader of the red lanterns did not work out in his favor no, he basically just ended up getting a glimpse of a potential future in which the entire Justice League was rage-infected and come and kick his ass. My notes for this basically consist of lots of self-doubt and overconfidence. Yep, that that seems to sum up Jessica Drew and Simon Baz as a team, uh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I This book, whatever. I mean, I'm going to read it because it's a lantern book, but... There's two right now, and Hal Jordan and the Green Lanterns is my favorite, obviously, and it's it's two issues in, whereas this one's five, and I'm still not convinced. Yeah, I want them to get further. Like, I think they're stretching out the Jessica Drew thing. Like, I think they need to make her into a hero a little bit sooner. I think it's Jessica Cruz. Sorry. You're right. Jessica Drew is Spider-Woman. Yeah. My bad. Jesus Christ. Whatever. It's like there's only like about 15 names that you can pick from if you're going to draw a comic book. Yeah, no, and, I agree. Uh, they they all sort of intermingle. Like here's 15 first names and here's 15 last names, and then combine them any way you see fit. But basically, there's only a certain number of combinations. So anyway, this book, Jessica Cruz. Um, I don't know. It's not. It's definitely not blowing me away. She I still runs do away enjoy a lot it. in this book. Like, yeah, she's just like, nope, I'm afraid. So I'm gonna be over here now. Yeah. I still do enjoy it, but it's kind of, on the other hand, it's like, but Jessica, stop being a little wimp about it. Come on, please, just stop. You're being a this big is, wimp. This is my thing about this book, and we talked about this earlier. Like, we talked about this when it came to wrestling. Like, the idea that they're putting the belt on Finn Balor is yeah. weird to me because he's so new to the main roster and whatnot. Yeah. 
Same thing with this one. Like, why do these two have their own book? Why are they the title characters of an ongoing series? Yeah, that's a that's a good question because you would think like it's not exactly as if we have a shortage of Green Lantern characters who could carry their own book. Uh, you know, not not to speak of like Kyle Rayner, John Stewart, uh, Guy Gardner. Why are we getting a you know new Lantern book with two entirely new untested lanterns? At least lanterns? with Stewart and Gardner, like you have them with the rest of the core who are theoretically theoretically going to meet up with uh, Hal Jordan at some point. Kyle Rayner, we don't know what's going on with him. Like, he could very easily head up this book as far as yeah. being the Earth Green Lantern and whatnot. And I get what they're doing, like, as far as, like, oh, you got to work together. Otherwise, you can't summon your battery and recharge your ring. Yeah. Well, except for that, it's not even, like, a like some sort of cosmic injustice. That's, like, Hal being, like, I'm smarter than you, and so this is how it's going to be. Yeah, that's just Hal going, like, well, them's the brakes, kid. Yeah. You you two kids are going to team up, or by golly, you're going to be in timeout forever. By golly, you'll... Well, I guess you'll die. Whatever. I'm going to go do this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> basically. So, uh, yeah, this it's not my favorite. It's not my favorite book. Um, we didn't... Like I said, the the books I mentioned earlier that I didn't read, that's only because I'm lazy, and I've been <laughs> playing World of Warcraft. Yeah. Which um, we didn't talk about yet, but it's happened. It has. I've been playing been completely distracted from comic book reading duties this week yeah uh so the deal with that is is i've always played this game like off and on uh it's been out for a lot of years now and i played for most of them not regularly the last few because finances and whatnot but i i I re-upped my sub the other day because there's an expansion coming out and i plan on buying it it looks pretty fucking cool and so far yeah, because they've already implemented elements from the expansion, like leading up to it. So, um, like I'm on the, I'm I'm an alliance character right now, and I started a character. Jesus, less than a week ago, mm-hmm. and kind of played up through a couple. Eh, I was I was level ten or eleven, and then I hit this patch where I was like okay, I'm going to go do this thing where there's these Legion people that are attacking because that's the name of the expansion. <laughs> um, and it's basically like demons that are attacking. And what it is is there's like these events that happen in the world and both Alliance and Horde members kind of come together to to fight it off, which is, is unique because typically that's kind of the game is like you're either Alliance or you're Horde. And you're against each other. Like, this is kind of one of the first things where it's like, nope, you guys are going to work together to fight this other evil off. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of things that I've seen just in, in like, the five seconds that I've got to watch or read about this, and that's one of them. But, like, the whole idea of, like, you know, stuff happens to the world now versus, like, you going out and actively seeking out, like, say, quests or instances, that's also interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, you still do all that stuff, too. But um, this is this is something even more. And I explained this to Eddie, too, and this is it, it made sense to him because he's played the game in the past before. But, like, leveling, like, once you get past level 10 is not something that happens quickly unless you're really hardcore 
Yeah. Sitting in front of your computer or whatnot. My kid was in the bath for like an hour this morning. And so I played for just a little bit. And I was level 17 when I started. And less than an hour later, I was level 22. Yeah. That's five levels in like less than an hour. And that's pretty incredible. Um, just from doing the Legion aspect of it. And not not only that, but I have way cool gear that you wouldn't normally have at this level from doing those things. So, um, yeah, it's pretty neat. Um, probably going to keep playing it for a little while. That's, I mean, come on guys. I read most of the comic books. Like don't, <laughs> don't, don't fire me. Jesus. Yeah. It's okay. You can say, um, and we'll talk about that more next week. I think we'll probably have some more, um, wow to talk about. We'll have some more comic books and all kinds of other interesting I'm gonna, nerd news. I'm going to try and get Eddie to play wow. I might. Um, honestly, I was watching and I was kind of like, God, this seems like it'd be fun, but I don't know if I can, if I have time, whatever. I, I want to play. You know, if you can get logged into your old account, you can at least play until level 20. Yeah. For free now. So you don't have to worry about that. Yeah. So anyway, um, if you want to talk to us about this or anything else, you can follow us on Twitter uh, at whatever show. You should follow us because in the event that we're watching wrestling again, like we'll live tweet. Yeah. Like we did all night tonight. Uh, uh, and your your lovely wife suggested we live tweet Arrow, um, which in in which case you know it, it might end up being a jumble of mishmash, uh, which this last half of the show has probably been because at that point we'll probably be drunk from whatever Arrow drinking game we'll have been. Can playing. we live tweet the Flash? We could probably, or even Legends, maybe Supergirl, maybe something yeah, that that might be fun. Yeah, it won't be depressing at least. Yeah. Yeah. Um, follow us on Facebook. Uh, That's Facebook. Facebook.com slash whatever show. Yeah. And email us if you have questions. Uh, questions at whatever.co. Newsflash. If you guys use that email address, what's cool is that both Eddie and I will get that to yeah. our respective devices. For sure. We might even answer you right then and there. Just saying. Yes, we're busy men, but we'll make time for you, the little people. Yeah. And finally, uh, we would love it if you'd go on iTunes, subscribe to our show, uh, and uh, yeah, of course, leave us a rating and tell us how we're doing. Preferably um, five stars. Yeah, it would be nice if you gave us five stars, but you know, we'll take what we can get. Yeah. So, If it's not five stars, please leave us your feedback. We'll talk about it on the show. Yeah. Uh, if it's not five stars, please uh, go and rate the Hollywood Babylon podcast instead. Yeah. Yeah, why not? Uh, uh, no, they're funny. Yeah, I like them, that's too. Fine. All right, uh, that's just this week. Thanks, everybody. Good night. Don't eat yellow snow. <laughs>